welcome to episode 122 of Zap to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our second batch of games from issue 48 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and we're doing a double, or was it even a triple take? At Daenerys, we were doubling over in pain at Dynamic Duo or Devo and diving into a fantastic voyage in DNA Warrior. This week, we conclude our look at the games in April 1989, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, tell us a tale of high adventure. Or just let us know what games we have this week. In this exciting episode, where we investigate the auditory impact of shouting snack-hungry bongo-playing infants. We grab our ointments and applicators and head into the rotatey world of the rock-blasting spaceship in the popcorny Blasteroids, jump on a mini-flying saucer and float around looking for stuff to reposition in the somewhat pointless Zone Trooper, and head to a haunted house and walk around picking up more pointless crap in the ear-destroying world of the monsters. Wow, it turns out that absolutely no amount of calm rebuttal will thwart the increasing volume of a bongo-playing child asking for a chocolate bar. Who knew? While we work out what to do next... We grab our Acme Earthquake Pills and Punch Hammers as we run around Los Angeles looking for some decent animators in the crappy Who Framed Roger Rabbit, take on the challenging angular ball-in-hole shenanigans of a fun though expensive tiny golf game in Mini Putt, thump our heavy feet around more alien landscapes looking for objects and a rationale in the thuddy Orion, before settling into the cockpit of a Formula One car, preparing ourselves for the races and then blasting around some famous racetracks in the brilliant Grand Prix circuit. Like April showers and grey skies, the average to crappy games are frequent, unwanted, and they dampen the spirits. Occasionally, though, just occasionally, there is a break in the clouds, and there you will find a sunbeam. (laughs) (laughs) But it's best in life. It's not playing these bloody games. That's what's not best in life. Some of them, yes, some of them, uh, you know, they left them on the battlefield. (laughs) And who found them? Men. Just men. (laughs) Your games live underneath them. (laughs) Just two men, in fact. (laughs) They found them and they played them and they were not happy. (laughs) They really weren't. Just as a heads up, if my voice sounds croakier, more sultry than normal, Mm. because I've got a cold. Typical. Hottest week of the year. (laughs) Have a cold. Have a cold. cold. (sighs) Heat cold. Heat cold. Yeah, I have. Um, I also had the pleasure of watching, as we just discussed, the new uh, Indiana Jones film this week. Oh, the Dial of Destiny. Destiny. Yeah. Destiny. Destiny. <laughs> no, just every time I say that word in this house. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, um, it wasn't that good, so, was it? No, there's a brutal shooting in it, which sort of haunts me a bit. I have to say, but it's a that, bit, yeah, it's a bit, bit, bit dark. That it's bit. A, it's a bit mean. A bit it mean. Is. It's a bit mean. It is, but it's not a. It's very. It's a very flat film. I thought very flat. Yeah, very La- flat. lacks any kind of sort of punch. Indiana Jones and the massive yawning of boring. <laughs> well, he's old. Uh, <laughs> well, he's he's all right in it. Considering you could do a supercut sort of thing where you just cut at the beginning where he wakes up and then he's in bed and then he wakes up at the end. <laughs> Grant see that he wakes up at the uh, end. Uh, uh. <laughs> but you know, you might enjoy it or whatever. Yeah, Indiana yeah, Jones, yeah, watch it. it if you can. Yeah, if you can. See it. Yeah, is what it is. Uh, if you wish to support us, I'm going to get this in at the beginning because there's probably stuff to do at the end. Uh, you can do that 
we've got a Patreon. You can go to that. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. Um, and you can sign up there for a pound or for what is the equivalent of four pound odd for your local area. Um, and that's great. You can come join the Discord, get the episodes early at the, you know, the higher join rate, us. all that kind of stuff. Ask us questions, all those kind of things. That Come join us. There's a really nice little community going on on Discord with high score challenges and things like that. When is a suitable game? I didn't feel like making them play um, four soccer simulators. That has just been mean. <laughs> That have just been mean, <laughs> and I'm not mean to our our patrons. I'm really Don't not. Or you can give us a coffee at kofi.com forward slash up to the past. It's up to you. Yeah, there we go. Let's get them out of the way at the front. And with that, should we get into some games? We have seven to cover. Seven whole games. Seven whole games, yes. Should wow. we get into them? I think it's probably time, actually. Let's do it then. Let's waste no let's more do, time. Let's do it. Don't waste time. <laughs> let's not. Let's waste no time. Should we waste time, Graham? I think we shouldn't. Don't waste any more time. <laughs> I haven't got a dial of destiny that we can use to just handily go back and create a space arse. So <laughs> yeah, a cloud arse. A cloud, it's a cloud arse. arse. It's the it's the it's the cloud anus. Quick, fly through the cloud anus. It'll take us back two thousand years. <laughs> And how did nobody in that time write that down? What's that in the sky? <laughs> on, the, on this day, the Romans did attack. A dragon did appear from a cloud arse. <laughs> Archimedes, did you do that? No, it's nothing to do with me. I'm the mirrors and the fire sticks and all that. Absolutely. To do oh, you reeker. <laughs> God, is that, that's like ancient Greek humour and ancient Roman humour. Absolutely. Goodness. That would have had him in hysterics in the bathhouse they would have been rolling around in there in the yes, togas and everything right let's get in some games enough of that to our first game our first game this week mm. and our first game is blasteroids ah. blasteroids uh fresh from the arcade comes the home conversion of blasteroids well was vaguely fresh what is Blasteroids, you may ask? Because I did, because I'd never heard of it. Well, it's a th- it does, yeah. It's not a, you need a one-fingered glove for this. Um, <laughs> well, it's the third official sequel to the 1979 Atari arcade hit Asteroids. There was Asteroids Deluxe, which, which was released in 1981. That does sound like it needs a cream. <laughs> it does, which added elements to the original. And then in 1982, we had Space Duel, which added two-player co-op play or cooperative or whatever to the game, along with more elements as well. Finally, in 1987, we got Blasteroids, um, which changed the iconic vector visuals to animated, like kind of digitized visuals, that sort of that Atari kind of look, sprites nice. and stuff like that. So it changed them into those kind of things. Anyway, the arcade game was designed by Atari, but the home conversions were taken care of via Tengen. Who were Tengen? I don't know if we've covered who were Tengen before. Maybe we have, I don't know. According to the wiki, by 1984, Atari Incorporated had been split into two distinct companies. I found this really weird because I didn't know this. Atari Corporation was responsible for computer and console games and hardware and owned the rights to the Atari brand for these domains. Atari Games was formed from Atari Inc.'s arcade division and were able to use the Atari name on arcade releases, but not on console or computer games. Weird. Very weird. When Atari Games wanted to enter the console game market, it needed to create a whole new label that didn't use the Atari name. And this new subsidiary was called Tengen which in the Japanese nomenclature of the board game Go refers to the central point of the board. And Go was always where the original Atari name had come from as well, so they kept that um, tradition. So let me get this straight. This was copyright of Atari games and Tengen, published by Imageworks, converted by Take Software, with coding by B. Pollock, graphics by Dave College, and music by Ben Daglish. 
There you go. It was. It, it was. <laughs> so what exactly do we have here? Well, it's asteroids. It's asteroids with some fancy new trousers on by the looks of things. Um, so when the fa- uh, game first loads, we get a nice logo for the game and some rather jolly but a bit out of place music from Ben Daglish. That music doesn't really fit. Um it's okay. It's a bit mm. short though. Really don't fit. Not all. There's some credits and some other logos bounce about. Press fire on the other on either joystick because you can play this one or two player. And that takes us to the second title screen. Um, and this second title screen has the four warps for the game difficulty. But you need to press fire again in order to make your ship appear and allow you to choose a difficulty. Pressing fire on port one generates player one, and your ship is near the easy warp start. Pressing fire on port two generates player two, and your ship is near the medium warp start. And getting away from either of these warps is quite hard. It's dead hard to actually get to the others. You have to really wrestle, get away from them. Um, So if you want to start on either the hard or expert warps, because there's four, so there's easy, medium, uh, hard, and expert. Get ready to turn your ship away as soon as you press fire because you've got to kind of blast you away quickly. Ready. Yeah, you've got to be ready. And it's, you know, it's already a tricky thing just to pick a difficulty level. Good Lord. <laughs> anyway, picking any of the warps gets you into the game. And as soon as we're out, we're in very recognizable asteroids territory. Most of the screen is taken up with the play area. Uh, with the UI taking up a small portion at the top showing your score, whether you have any shield, and your energy bar. One thing not included is the number of lives you have left, which seems like an odd emission. An odd emission. Um, cause it's like, More than odd. Bloody <laughs> annoying. It's a bit of an oversight. It's like, I, 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 I've lost count. Have I got extra lives? No one knows. It's a game of guessing. There's also because there's also another, and this it's quite. There's a lot of space on that UI. They could have just put lives in. Just put lives yes, in. Yes, they could. There's another. I mean, there's a, that shield <laughs> section. It's like so you know, not un, unused. It's like, why is that just the lives? Anyway, there's another empty panel next to this for player two. Uh, I'll come to the player two stuff in a bit, as you can play this with two players cooperatively and sort of counter-cooperatively, but you can play it together anyway, come for a bit. For the most part, it's asteroids. Your ship starts near the center of the screen. You're either red for player one or green for player two. And you control it with left, or it could be the other round, I can't remember. And you control it with left and right to rotate, up to thrust, fire to shoot, and down to change the ship type, which is a bit of an addition here. You've got three different types of ship types now. You've got the speeder, which is the quickest ship. You've got the fighter, which packs the most firepower. And you've got the warrior, which is the slowest, but has the heaviest armor. The background is just black space. There's like the odd planet taking up some of it. So it's not there's not much going on in the background. Asteroids float about. And you need to shoot them all as they split up into smaller chunks when shot. It's asteroids. You know, asteroids. everyone knows asteroids. But it does have um, some new features um, to it beyond the different craft as well. There are different types of asteroids now that have different properties. Grey asteroids are the normal ones. Shoot them until they just crumble to dust and disappear. Red asteroids create crystals when they are destroyed. And you must fly over these to top up your energy which depletes as you take hits or use your thrusters. So be careful of using overuse of your thrusters. And blue asteroids must be shot several times in order to make them pop and stop moving. They kind of grow bigger, like they call them the popcorn, popcorn asteroids. There are also egg asteroids, which release leeches when shot, which home in on you, and seeker asteroids, which fly towards you at high speed when they are first shot and must be shot several times in order to destroy them. They crash into you. Um, alongside these are other craft which beetle about, and shooting these often releases a power up which you can collect. These can be shields, blasters which provide double shots, extra shot power, a rip star which makes you spin wildly and spew out bullets, extra fuel capacity, a booster to increase your speed, a crystal magnet to hoover up floating crystals, and a cloak 
to make you invisible to the enemies. It's kind of handy. When you manage to clear a sector of all asteroid and alien craft, you are taken to the galactic map, uh, which will either be nine or 16 squares, depending on the difficulty chosen. So it's either a three by three grid or a four by four grid. The first sector you, you, first sector you complete is always the bottom left one. Uh, from here, you must choose where to go next. You do this by spinning your spaceship, where it will point at either up or in a diagonal or to the right or whatever and you just choose which one you want to go next because uh, it's the only can you can only go to one of the adjacent squares on the map and in those squares it will show you what type of asteroids and aliens are also present so you can kind of make a beeline for you know if you want to avoid a certain type of enemy you can kind of avoid them for the present time so you select one once you select one you press fire you will warp there and need to kill everything to get back to the map and proceed across it so it's essentially you've got to clear um all the sectors and should you clear all the sectors then and only then will you face off against mukor was it mukor 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 m-u-k-o-r how do you pronounce that mukor Mukor? Uh, Mukor? 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 Mukor. Mukor. He's the big, I suppose because he's a big green alien, so it sounds a bit like mucus. A big green alien that graces the cover of the game. Um, Here you must fly around and shoot the stubby tentacles that surround Mukor. If you shoot them all, he will slink off. He's like, just flinks off screen. And you can proceed to the next difficulty and attempt to clear that one and so on and so on and so on. It's an arcade game. So that's it. You can play two-player. And a second player can join at any time by pressing fire on the other joystick. Nice touch. Always like that. You can fly about separately. So you can whiz about shooting stuff independently. Or you can join together. And you can do this if one of you is the warrior and one the speeder. And at that point, the speeder becomes a turret on top of the warrior as it moves about. So with control still being done by being each respective player, allowing double shooting, but at much slower speed. So the one who's controlling warrior, the warrior will move about and they will sort of be moving about. But they're slower, obviously, because they're the warrior, but they can still shoot in the direction they are. The one who's a speeder on their back can spin around in all directions and shoot, uh, you know, shoot where they want. So you can get sort of double shot. That's kind of handy, kind of nice. So you've got decent shields. You're a bit slower, but you've got double firepower. You work together. Um, nice. You can break out of this at any point by pulling. Anyone can pull down on the joystick because it'll change your uh, uh, craft type and then split you apart. So if you don't want to be part of it, you can just fly off on your own. It's up to you. Nice. Nice and simple. Nice and easy, just like the arcade game. And it's carried over from the arcade game as well, so it's good to see that. And that's about it, really. I mean, all everything that I could really see in the arcade game, I haven't looked at it, is here. Um, so they have actually converted, you know, mm-hmm. everything's there. So all the little nuances, all the little clips, the the um, the sort of galactic map, uh, what you see on there. There's some bits and bobs, maybe, you know, the presentation, the sound effects. But it's what it is. The controls themselves are decent enough. Each craft is feeling feels different. Um, the You know, the speeder is really quick. The warrior is slow. The fighter is chunky, you know, easy, good middle ground. Um, easy to move about. So spinning left and right thrusting a bit it's all good you know it's nice the graphics are okay that's the ad medium res some nice rotation on the asteroids as they float around i thought it was all right um and your ship looks the ships they look okay they're perfectly fine they're decent representations of the arcade ones um the aliens are a bit chunky whatever but they work fine all look good it just looks like a version of the arcade game in medium c64 res um it's all easy to read there's no slowdown that i noticed only a small bit of flicker at the bottom uh, on the bottom of the ui but he's it's not really anything worth writing home about um generally it works fine the sound game there's an odd tune 
um, mm. that I, I wasn't particularly enamored with. I thought it was a bit annoying. Um, it's got the usual kind of sound effects that you expect in this, but the tune, like I said, does get on your nerves after a while. You know, it is what it is. It, it, it's one of the areas where the um, arcade game always will sound better because it's got that chunky arcade Atari bass noises, Yes, yes which, you know, true. Atari were, were always great had. As conversions go, like I said, everything from the arcade has been reproduced pretty well here, and it plays very like its arcade parent. Um, the two-player mode is good to see. The cooperative mode is good to see. The galactic map, the front end, it, it's all there. It's not, you can't really. If someone said to you port Blasteroids to the C64, then I don't think you could have done a much better job than what you've got here. So, at its heart, though, it is another Asteroids variant. So despite all mm. the fancy bo- new bells and whistles tacked on, and there is... You know, like I said, very little, uh, sorry, uh, bells, bells and whistles tacked on. There's very little variety from stage to sh- stage to sh- stage to stage. You're just shooting asteroids and various ones and there's different, you know, but it's the same sort of thing. That's going to be where, you know, you're either going to fall off this or not. If you like asteroids and you want a decent version of it on the C64, probably one of the best I've played. There might be some older version that came out ages ago, but I think this is actually a pretty decent version of, of Blasteroids, which is a version of Asteroids, so this is fine. But like I said, your mileage is certainly going to be measured in just how long you can be bothered flying around static stages, blasting rocks these days. It plays well, but it's asteroids. And that's something you just cannot get away from no matter what you want to say about it. So it's a, it's a very good conversion of an asteroids variant, and that's where your mileage is going to vary with it. I thought it was pretty good. I was playing it for a while, but I think I've played my fill of asteroids over the years, and that's why I fell off it a little bit. What did you think? Well, I did certainly didn't like it as much as you. Um, I thought this game's going to haunt me. <laughs> that, that music, that god awful music in the in-game. Do 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 do. Yeah, drive drive me. I don't, I don't, I thought it would be a while before something topped menace for the annoying drive it into your skull stakes of sound. <laughs> and there we go, another one. Just repeating that endlessly over and over again. Do 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 do. Oh my lord, I didn't like that. I thought the graphics were bitty. I didn't think they were very well realized. Um, not, and obviously, they're not going to look at the arcade, but there didn't even seem to be a really good attempt at trying to make them look good. They just looked a bit like badly drawn, naff things. Um, badly pop popcorn, slightly burned, actually, if that's what they're <laughs> going for. Um, and they kind of float and flip around. Okay, there's a, there's a few of them. I noticed some artifacting around the edges of some of those things as well. So when some of the characters are going over other things, you could see sort of character blocks around things and stuff like that. All right, limitations and all that, maybe. But I thought the, the spaceships... They just lacked a bit of Duke Ellum. It's an arcade conversion, but it just lacked care and attention. You know, those those oval spaceships that look like UFOs. I'm like, just come on, put a little bit of a little bit into it. Just a little bit. Don't just go, go, right, we've got to convert this arcade. How do you think we should do it, Robo Conversion System? I think we should make the spaceships look exactly the same, only slightly lower res. I think that's a good idea, robot. Let's go. They don't have to be that way, does it? A bit of artistic license thrown in. I don't know. Anyway, so that aside, I just thought, I, and this is more of a reflection of the game more than the game maker. Um, I didn't like it because I thought it was just dull blasting asteroids. And I, asteroids, like you, yeah, I've yeah. Kind of, yeah, and I've, I've done yeah. that. Yeah. Um, the extra weapons and all that, that didn't help early. And I was just kind of floating about. I inadvertently p- switched on player two by accident. Couldn't get rid of that. So that was just hanging around like a bad smell. Um, I blasted <laughs> my way through the first levels. Do you know what was weird, right? I accidentally, I accidentally switched it into two-player mode by pressing whatever it did to trigger that. Mm. It was an accident. So then I had two spaceships, one that was on the screen just hanging around, and me. Um, now, it didn't really do anything, other than, obviously, it didn't last very long because it wasn't moving around much. But when it came to select, when I got past the sort of shot all the meteors and went to the next sort of next step, because I think there was 
eight levels to do on the first part and then and, and then more after that. Mm. Um, it switched so that the second player could choose out of the grid you can choose from which one which was the next level, which is really inconvenient when you've accidentally switched them on. It depends on which one gets sucked into the transporter first. Well, it was always going to be that one because it wasn't moving. Yeah. So if that one gets sucked in first, then because you get a bonus and you get to choose as, as the person who gets, because oh. it's like a, you have a little battle to get to the transporter first at the end of the end of the right. stage when it's clear. Okay. So it makes sense if the, if you want to play it two player, I suppose I didn't. Mm. Um, but anyway, I made my way through, believe it or not, made it way through eight levels of the same thing. Eight levels of the same boring crap I went through. <laughs> and, then to, and then I was confronted by Space Cabbage. A giant space cabbage. I think you find that's mucor. It's mucor. It, it was a bloody space cabbage. I'm like, all eight levels of repetitive brain damaging nonsense to get confronted by a giant space cabbage. I'm like, whatever. Anyway, I killed the space cabbage by shooting off its leaves. And what did I get as a reward? You now have 16 levels. And they're all the bloody same. I'm like, more yeah. of that. No, thanks. No, no. Mm-hmm. And I guess that, you know, if that's your thing, that's your bag. It's an old arcade and all that. Bang. But I, I, I couldn't take any more of that music. I couldn't do it. And I know it's Ben Daglish and Ben's done some amazing stuff. This is not his finest moment. The main tune of that is 33 seconds. And the, the in-game is a minute and eight. And it's a minute <laughs> and eight of the same thing over and over again. And oh, no, I hated this game. And I think I hate it not because of not because it's a bad game necessarily, but just because it's a dull game, really. And that's always going to be its curse, isn't it? And I never, yeah. and I have to be honest, I never liked Asteroids either. So this is more me, really, than the game. No, but, that's um, fair enough. Because I just, I never got on with it. I never liked all the zipping about and all the, the I just don't like it. I don't like it. So there you go. Um, and this was £10. And I think that's a little bit high. Okay, it's the arcade, it's the arcade conversion tax. I get it, it, but this isn't like a new license or anything. This is ancient, and also eighty three percent. Come on, this is no way. This is eighty three percent. No way in hell. No, I mean, I get it. It's not a terrible conversion, but it's not an eighty three percent game. If it was one ninety nine or two ninety nine, maybe it would warrant a higher percentage. But I'd have been slapping this around the fifties. It's nothing special. So there you go. That's me. But um, you liked it more than I did. But I just don't. I don't really like asteroid blasteroids, asteroids deluxe, whatever you want to call them. It's never been my thing. I wasn't a huge fan of it. I, I got a bit of time with it. Went yeah, it's all right. I can see what it's doing. I think it's an okay version of that arcade game. Which I went and had a look at. I went yeah, it's that, and it played it, and I went it plays pretty much the same, and it's asteroids, and I'm a yeah, bit bored of asteroids. But- Space cabbage. No, no. It's the it's the uh, lustrous lettuce. I think it, you'll find. it looked like a massive angry sprout. I was like, what? Of all, of, I fought through la- levels and levels of nonsense and guff to get to that shooting at those annoying popcorn asteroid things. Oh. No, you know, I felt at the end of uh, Halo Two. <laughs> those wounds run pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, all that time for Audrey Two. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. At least it wasn't a space cabbage. True, true, it's true. It's the modern equivalent, I get you, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. Anyway. anyway, there you go. That's Blasteroids. Might need a glove for that. Let's move on. We've got two more games in this section, and I'm sure they're going to be ace. Now, Graham, it's over to you for our next one. Uh, this is Zone Trooper. It is Zone Trooper, this, isn't it? Good old Zone Trooper. Now, this particular one is published by... Now, there's a bit There's a bit of weirdness about this whole thing. This whole thing took me down a rabbit hole. A, a it did. strange rabbit hole. So this particular version is 199. It was published by Cascade Games, coded by George Wright. And the musician was Fred Gray. And it got 23% in, in Zap, which didn't a very high score. Now, no. if you look into this a little bit, there was also 
an unreleased or I couldn't find the fact I couldn't find a version of this was if it was released. It certainly wasn't reviewed in Zap at any point. So I don't think it ever got released by Ocean. But Ocean had the exact same game, but it was called Moonshadow. And there's a it's a lemon, so there is an entry for it, and you can mm. download it as well. If you go to CSDB, there is a downloadable version of it. Oh, is there? Oh, no, right. no, it's the, exactly the same game, exactly the same as Zone Trooper. Only the only difference is it's got better music. It's created by the same pe- game guy, George Wright, but the music for that version it's Wally Bebbin, and the music's a lot better. It's just all a bit odd, isn't it? All a bit odd. That's very odd. Where that don't know why or where or how, and then then that led, led me down a bit of a weird path. And I'll go down this because there's not a lot to the game really. So Zone Trooper was essentially a game made for the Sinclair Spectrum originally by some of the founding members of DMA Design. Mm. How mad is that? So this yeah. is Dave Jones, not Davy Jones. Ha <laughs> no, we're not that. <laughs> it's not Dave Jones. Locker. Or has he? Um, he Russell Kay, not Russell Kane. Russell Kay. We've all got, you know, they're almost, aren't they? They're Aldi brands. We've <laughs> got to be careful with them. There's <laughs> <laughs> Robert De Biro. <laughs> Oh, I want them, really want them to be a rubber <laughs> Dibiro now. He just bakes cakes. He just bakes all the cakes. Mr. Dibiro. Um, there's Steve Hammond and, of course, Mike Daly with two L's. Um, I have to make that because I made a point of writing that for some reason. Um, so these guys were all members of the Kingsway Amateur Computer Club in Dundee. That is, yes, that is CAC. That's what it was called. When Mike started going along to the club sometime in 1984, Steve Russell and Dave had already been there for about a year. I'm assuming they were let home at some point. Mike, who was 14 at this point, had been persuaded to go by one of his friends to this particular uh, computer club. Um, at this point, he'd also started or had begun or created a breakout clone for the Plus for C16 called Freakout, which was never released. Now, why do I mention all of this? Well, while the C64 game is, is credited to George Wright, the Spectrum game of Zone Trooper was created by Russell Kane, and Dave Jones under the original title of Moonshadow. It all gets very confusing, doesn't it? Mm. So at a certain point, Dave Jones left Russell to finish Moonshadow as he wanted to continue the development, development of his game with no name which was a nemesis clone, which was later, believe it or not, became Menace. <laughs> Can't escape it, can we? And that was, of course, released by Psygnosis on the Amiga and the Atari ST, which was the first official DMA design game. DMA design, of course, go on to do GTA and Blood Money and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I, I, have no idea, I have no idea how Moonshadow came to be released as Zone Trooper um, or how it came to be released maybe by Ocean in 1988 or well, not released, or and now it's on budget. I don't know. I also have literally no idea why they have different music and musicians in the games, why there's Wally Bebbin music, and it's on Sid Play as well. So if you go to the HVA Sids, Wally Bebbin's music for this game is right there. So it's clearly was done for this game in the Moonshadow. Weird. And I have no idea who George Wright is because he's listed as the game programmer, but I can find no trace of that person. Anything to do with DMA design, any other games again. I'm guessing it, they didn't just go up to some and go, right, you're called George Wright. Do this. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, so anyway, Dave Jones, Russell K, Steve Hammond, Matt Daly. This is essentially a very early DMA design game. How mad is that? Mm. Okay. Um, so the instructions then for this are a bit, it was difficult to find a lot about this, I have to say, but the instructions that I've got, um, which was essentially principally a paragraph from the Spectrum instructions, I think. Uh, you're the only crew member to be awoken from a suspended animation to correct the ship's course. It's too late. The ship crashes. Emergency. Always is an emergency. You must find the replacement plasma pods, which is bound to be a plosive nightmare on this microphone, to save comrades from destruction. This is Danger Zone, and you are the Zone Trooper. And then the four bits of information that I've got in terms of what you need to do. Battle your way through multi-screen <laughs> complex, a multi-screen complex, to find life-saving plasma pods. Avoid or destroy frenzied droids. Negotiate airlock and teleports. Infonet. Computer information system to help you. It's all getting a bit vague at this point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's an early, late, early, late, 
flick screen find and seek game this my favorite mm. kind of game oh, it is love it. I know, which I you love, love these kind of a sci-fi monty mole really in a weird way you need to navigate on your hover scooter around the fairly extensive map looking for plasma pods good old plasma pods you're always looking for stuff out in these games always it keeps you now occupied in that well, that's why it's a find a quick... and <laughs> find and find and seek find and float i guess in this it is yeah um a quick check-in with the onboard computer which is uh, pushing to the right as soon as you start and you'll get some key info which you need the ship's six plasma limiters have been damaged in the crash you need to get replacement limiters and install them but do this quickly as without the limiters the cores will leak and it's a thermonuclear explosion and adios muchacho quote a uh, famous film mm. uh, and so begins your adventure well you control the zone trooper who looks like a little guy sitting on a hover scooter you move around them with the joystick with gravity pulling you down gravity pulls you back down in this game mm. so you know how this game is going to play out word is annoying you can shoot at the enemies on each flip screen and fly about strewn around the extensive map are a series of objects you can pick up and move around and guess what you need to pick those up and move them around from location to location to gradually unlock the game and find the plasma pods. In addition to the surface of whatever planet you are on, there are little doorways that you can go into and explore the interiors. Here, the same logic applies, although there are now platforms and ladders you can navigate around. Now, weirdly, in this version, you enter these things and you remain on your hoverboard. Uh, in the, I think in the Spectrum version, I'm pretty sure you go in there and you walk around. You don't mm. actually, so I think. Which explains why you'd have ladders in there. Because if you did have ladders and you're on a hover, let's, let's not, no. I, I think it's inconvenient to go, you know, hovering around places. It's got to be more difficult than just walking, but there you go. Um, title screen of the game when it loads does look a tad dated. Indeed, it looked a bit more like an old BBC game, really, didn't it? All of this, minus the sort of garish colours. Big base relief zone trooper at the top. Some landscape from the game with the UI from the game with a few animated sprites spinning. New music which was fab in the Wally Bebbin version um, in that Mysterious Ocean one, is here replaced by a jolty and shrill piece from Fred Gray. Not one of his good ones, this. Um, no. And some text slowly pops on the screen, letting you know you can start things with fire and space pauses things. Joyport 2 only, I'm afraid, for this. Oh, no. Pressing fire starts the game. Exciting. The game window is probably the top three quarters of the screen with the UI carried over from the title screen at the bottom, which is not a thing I like. You and don't. You have a thing about that, do you? Yeah, we don't. It's principally text-based, bitty text-based, really. The score, high score, remaining time on your status indicators with supplies of air, energy, and power. All these run down, with the exception of the score, of course. And as you go around, the game sees you flying between screens, essentially shooting at some of the enemies, avoiding others, and flying about and picking things up and moving them around. The background graphics are blocky, but colourful at least, and there is some attempt to create some styling and tone for the game. Being kind, really. It does, uh, even in this basic way, look like a half-decent exploring game when there is certainly a lot to explore. The map's quite big for this. However, this game also succumbs to one of the biggest design mistakes that we have seen over and over again through the life of this podcast. Relentless spawning enemies. And on top of that, homing enemies that are difficult to shoot. Bloody yep. annoying, that. Yes, yes, Just yes. Instantly, instantly makes me go, gah! When that happens, um, this turns exploration into avoidance and immediately changes the tonality of the game. Something of a pity, I feel, because from that minute forth, this game is starting to lose my interest. There isn't a lot more to it either, um, but it is only a couple of pounds. It was noted on Lemon that the game does have an eerie quality to it. One of the people in the comments there. Um, there are only sound effects in the game. Uh, so, so that might be right. Maybe that's right. Um, you are the only thing looking around as it is. And aside from the constant enemy spawning, it's can, I suppose it is a pretty lonely type of game. It reminds me of the nodes of Yes, Our Town of Loneliness. And we, we remarked on that 
way back when we talked about Notivia's these games they do have a loneliness about them don't they mm-hmm. oddly some kind of wizard on a saucer periodically appeared when I was playing this as well don't know what that was all about no idea what it was for what he did <laughs> not so lonely then um, so I don't know what happened with that and I could find no proper instructions like I said outside of the basics there may be some more elaboration to this but I couldn't generally find any this is by no means a great game it's very dated and it looks like it the music from Fred Gray isn't very good the Wally Beber music is much better and I'll go and seek that out if I were you and while there is kind of a tonal peculiarity to it all you know, and I, maybe I like some of the backgrounds ish and the setting of the map is pretty extensive in all fairness two pounds but the trouble is the core of the game is wandering around fighting gravity and relentless spawning enemies, which shifts the paradigm of the game into something dreary and annoying, which for £2 is still dreary and annoying, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I didn't enjoy it because of that. It had some of the trimmings that I perhaps could have found more interesting, but lacked the proper design to follow any of those ideas through. It had nice scope, but it's not very fulfilling. Its price is the only saving grace here, and it's an interesting heritage, I suppose. But 23% harsh? I'm not sure. So I'm not so sure. Maybe a little bit. Maybe it's more of a 40%er. Not... It's not a great game. It's not a crack <laughs> game. But it's just, I think those relentless spawning enemies, just they just killed my enthusiasm. As soon as it started following me around, I'm like, oh, just can't be bothered with that. No, no, not for me, this one. But it is only £2, so at least you're only going to get £2 worth of you know trauma from it. What about you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's the version we were playing, but it, it kind of felt a bit unfinished to me. It felt a bit rough and a bit broken around the edges. No, I, think that, I think that's how it is. Whereas there's lots of, I found lots of bugs and stuff and text not appearing properly and just graphic glitches and all over the place. And I don't know. I was like, okay. So yeah, I mean, you fly from screen to screen, you pick stuff up, you get bothered by aliens. It's one of, it's one of them. It reminds me of those. It's a rubbish version of things like that. Um, uh, what's it? Not Exelon. What's the one? Oh, Starquake. Is it Starquake? Yeah. 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 Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Those, it's that. It's just one of them, but it's not, it's not very good. Or it also, in the way that you float around and everything moves around a bit. And I know it's not the same sort of thing, but um, I thought it, sh- it looked, it reminded me a bit of Shogun as well. Um, yeah, in the way that it, pre- in the way that it yeah. presents yeah. that kind of, those kind of sprite styles. I don't know. So yeah, I did think the visuals, they're okay for what they were. They weren't, they weren't yeah. annoying. They were, but they, I think BBC has, it looked a bit Amstrad-esque as well, I think. And obviously yeah. it comes from there. Yeah, yeah. But the, the game's just really dull. It's just yeah. really dull and really annoying because it's like, I'm just picking up objects and I've no idea what I'm supposed to do with them or move them about. Yep. You can only carry one. You pick one up and then suddenly you've lost your ability to shoot. Oh, yeah. God. No. Um, so, no, this didn't do anything for me. The review for this, and the Lemon said this is it says this is a re-release. Yeah, it said it in Zap as well. Weird. So I don't know with that Moonshadow one whether there's some weird some weirdness weird. going on, but it's never – I can't find sight or sound of the other one. So God knows only what that is. I don't know. Um, what I what I do know with though with I just felt this felt cumbersome to play and not very engaging. After a while, it was just mm. float around, shoot stuff, float around, change uh, blur. I think even for two quid, it's a bit of a dud. It's just a boring game. It's just a boring dull game to play, yeah. and that's yeah. you know give me it for yeah, free, it and it's still boring. In fact, I did get it for free, and it's still boring. <laughs> so what, what what can you say? It's boring. It's a boring yeah. game. Um, you know, don't don't get me wrong. No no problem. Their first, it's their first game or they're doing something and they're learning and they're doing all this stuff and they're, you know, so not knocking the people. But again, it's just one of them things about, do you need to release it, do you? Nah, I don't know. Don't. <laughs> no, you don't. So Zone Trooper is more of a no trooper for me. That's, mm, what, that's what I think. There we go. That's Zone Trooper, the weird, weird tale of Zone Trooper um, that led to... It did. I'm glad that's replaced Blasteroids now in my... Yeah, there you go. Weird, isn't it, though, that they would go on and do Lemmings? 
Yeah. Everyone forgets that Dave Jones and that lot did Lemmings. Well, you yeah. know, everyone Just thinks it's GTA and all that, but it's the same people did Lemmings. Yeah. They also did Blood Money, which I don't remember it being any good. Sea Menace. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> okay. Just look it up in the dictionary. Sea Menace. No, 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 no. Let's move along. We've still got a game left to cover in this section. We've still got one more. And that one, Graham, is do 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 Another, uh, another license rears its head from the past as we, for some reason, get a game based on the Monsters. It's 1989. <laughs> Don't understand. Yeah. Now, I, I tried to look into this and I tried to find, but all I could find is like, it's obviously been bought and re-shown on BBC Two, but I remember this was being re-aired on Channel 4 in the 80s, around tea time. That's where I used to watch it, I'm pretty sure. It used to be like... because it there, but could have been. I'm pretty sure there was something. Anyway, it was on in the 80s, because I remember well, it watching it in was. the 80s. I don't know where it was. I thought it was Channel 4. I, I, I could be wrong. Um, so maybe that explains why this game was made, because, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking like, oh, they've got the monsters on telly, and it's like, oh, that's a, that, we'll grab that license, because there's no way anyone's going to think to a night. I mean, no, so I can, I can only wonder. Um, God only knows. Anyway, it's the monsters. What is the monsters? To paraphrase the wiki, the monsters was an American sitcom that ran from 1964 to 1966, which was actually the same time as the Adams family was also on. Weirdly, they started within about four or five days of each other in September Did. 1964, which is kind of weird. Um, because I was on, I was wondering which influenced the other. Turns out neither. They, they were influenced <laughs> by other stuff, just standard, you know, uh, sitcom stuff. Depicting the, the so the monsters depicted the home life of a family of benign monsters made up of Herman Munster, his vampire wife Lily, Grandpa, who was the aged vampire Count Dracula, their niece Marilyn, who was the normal one of the family, and their werewolf-like son Eddie. The family pet, innocuously named Spot, was a fire-breathing dragon. Um, so yeah, that's the monsters. Each week they would get into various episodes, um, and it was very much in the role of weekly sitcoms of the time, only with that subversive angle in that they saw themselves as normal people then when they were clearly not. And everyone was like, "Hey!" when they saw them, but you know yeah. that was that was the running gag. <laughs> and he'd do his joke, he'd do his laugh. And from he, uh, Marilyn, um, was it Marilyn? Was Marilyn like- the cousin? Was yeah, whole yeah. you know all, all all American sort of sixties, sixties sort of yeah. teenage girl or young twenties. Uh, the rest obviously not. Uh, the show was eventually cancelled because Batman was too popular. That's what I read. Um, there's something <laughs> ironic about shows about ghouls being killed off by a bat. Um, I think. Anyway, onto the game. This was published by Again Again. Uh. It's copyright of Tiger Developments. It was coded by Bill Cornt and Peter Hickinson. Graphics by Mark Edwards and music once again by Ben Daglish. Seems to be going for the uh, Dave Whitaker Award this week <laughs> <laughs> of annoying repetitive loops. Do 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 This coding team, this production team, Pat from Ben Douglas, I think, or maybe it was him, is the team that did Chubby Gristle. So I'm just going to leave that there. Yeah, just leave that parked in there. <laughs> After an okay loading screen, we get the title screen. Uh, there's nothing to do here but wonder at the basic nature of it and why it only has some text and the name of the game and the Again Again logo on it. But then, across the middle, comes Herman running across, chased by a ghost. Um, <laughs> there he goes, Herman Munster. 
And also at this point, as I've noted, the monster steam tune is playing in a loop that cannot be stopped will soon scratch itself <laughs> across your brain. Never stops. Ever. Never no, ever. It no, cannot it be stopped. Do 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 oh, God's sake, please stop. Uh so there's nothing to do here. You press fire, gets you into the game. And I have to say, first impressions are not bad. We start the game as Lily in the bedroom. Um, and she's a, a decent, a fairly well animated sprite, quite big. Um, just, so this is a side on um, flick screen. Uh, the backdrop is mostly black, kind of fits the game style, I suppose. You know, it's spooky and or whatever, sort of thing, whatever. Uh, but it's got some objects like paintings on the wall and plants and stuff dotted around. It's okay. Looks like a C64 game in lovely medium res. Um, so at least it's, you know, what I did like, it's not just been ported across to look like a Spectrum game. So it does look like a C64 game. And the main sprite, Lily, is actually all right, yeah. quite well animated right. and stuff. So it's, it looks okay. Um, however, it's here because it was quite hard finding instructions for this and not very hard to come across. I've managed to find some, um, but the instructions are, you know, when they've made a game where you can't understand what to do sort of thing, when the actual instructions are, please just do this. Just do yeah, this. I thought that. <laughs> Because we haven't, the game doesn't explain this in any way, shape, or form, and it's no. annoying. Because it's here, however, the frustration with the game's design will start to become apparent. Because I don't know who's designed this, but I hate them. I really do. I can't <laughs> stand them. Um, if you did design this, you need good talking to it at the point in time, because there's nothing good about this. So the UI is at the top. It takes up the top third, and the game takes place in the lower two thirds. Where have we seen that spectrum layout before? Mm, no. Um as I said, it's a flick screen adventure. You need to roam the house, uh, and essentially it's a, it's a multi-part adventure where you've got to find the other members of the family, and eventually your goal is to rescue rescue Marilyn, who's been kidnapped by old Nick, in order to teach them, the monsters, a lesson in ghoulology. <laughs> something. It kind of put me in mind of something like everything's a, everyone's a Wally, yeah. stuff like that, you know, the multi-character yeah. sort of thing where you're flicking about, except you don't really flick about in this anyway, because you never will, because it's bloody annoying um except it's a medium res around that spectrum look anyway most of the ui is taken up with the name of the game carved on a piece of wood <laughs> just use the ui for something else yeah we do. know what we're playing the music tells us what we're playing constantly <laughs> can't escape it um so top this plank of wood is your score for all reasons on the left is a bottle that is your energy and on the right is another bottle that is your spell power your energy is full to start off with but the spell bottle is empty to fill it, you just have to wait around for enemies to appear yeah. on the screen. Um, with your basic controls, and it is basics, left and right to move, up and down to go up and down stairs, and fire to shoot a yellow ball. I don't know what it was. It's just a yellow ball. So you shoot and you kill these enemies as they appear. They home in on you. And as you do, your spell bottle will slowly fill up. You just have to stand there just doing that. Just doing that. Um, from that point, you can then decide to wander about the house, and you'll find various enemies that are floating about blocking your way further, and you won't be able to kill them. And when you shoot at them, your spell amount, your spell bottle goes down, even though they can't kill them. So then you have to go back to one of these other rooms where the enemies respawn again and just stand there waiting for them to come in and refill your bottle, and it takes time, and it's very boring. Um, now, the only way to f kill these enemies that block your way is to find various objects scattered about the house. You don't know what objects are linked to which ones. It's just random, so you don't know. Um, be warned, because the thing is, contact with any of these will any of these enemies that you can't shoot will spell instant death. Pretty much instant death. Your energy just goes, boop, done. Yep. Um, and you're back to the title screen with you and back to the beginning. So if you've got 35, if you might manage to get 35, dead. Done. Now you're done. Um, the items, like I said, you have to collect are seemingly arbitrary. 
Um, and it's it's literally a case of trial and error. As you find something, you try and shoot one of the enemies, see your spell power go down. You then got to go back, like I said, farm spell power again in an empty room to try again on another enemy. It's like, oh my god, there's one enemy. You go out the first room, if you go down the stairs and go directly left, there's three like witchy type things that just come homing in on you. Um, that just you'll just kill you immediately. <laughs> dead. Oh my god. So frustrating. There's a zombie wandering around downstairs as well. Could touch you dead. And there's one blocking dead. Yeah. Dead. Dead. Everything's dead. Ah. Uh, there's no real logic to any of this. Um, and whilst you're trying to figure out what to do and get on with it, like I said, the music will slowly be lowering the amount of functioning brain cells you have left. It never ends. And there's no sound effects at all <laughs> that I heard. As noted, should you die, it's back to the title screen and starting all over again. And very soon you just will not want to bother with this. This is the very definition of annoying in every sense. As far as I'm concerned, it is a rote game that is lengthened by making you stand in various places to farm energy. And then makes you do that again and again. The instructions do speak of later sections where you control Herman. I got out to the uh, the garden, and you go, you wander across all the way across, and then as you're coming back, hordes of zombies come up. And I, I watch someone play. All you got to do is just hold down the fire button, and eventually just kill them all. It's like this is just boring. It's just boring, boring game design. It's just boring and annoying because if you don't shoot them all in time, you're dead. When you're back to the beginning, you have to do all those things again. Oh, just annoying. So, yeah, there's sections where you supposedly control Herman and Grandpa and control the pet dragon, but I never got to these. Because the basic intro level is so frustrating to the point, like I said, of boredom and just dullness and frustration, I realized I had just better things to do with my life. Um, artificially inflating the length of your game by making the player stand in a room to slowly gain spell juice is not the way to engage them. Just put spell juice on. Let me find the ar- artifacts, you know, that have got to yeah. kill them, make them work or make them relevant, and then what's this spell nonsense? It's just rubbish, because you don't actually fire anything different. If you filled up your spell juice, and it let you do something, let's, let's, let's use Golden Axe as an example. Golden Axe, you pick, you kick the little uh, blue blue guys, you get the potions all the way across, and each time you get some more potions, you do a higher power spell, you know, until you get the big dragon with the full one, and smokes everything on the, you know, smites everything on the screen, and that's great. Now, why couldn't that have just done that? So it's like, right, mm-hmm. well, you need at least this much spell power to kill this. Why is it, oh, you found a book. Well done. You can kill this zombie wandering around. That makes no sense. Yep. None. Nope. I, I just don't get it. It's just a stupid design choice, and it's just ridiculous. And, it, and you know, this, like I said, it's got a really annoying music. It looks okay, and it controls are okay. I've got no problem with any of that. It's just, it, I just the design of it is dreadful. Um, so, yeah, the game's just pure annoyance as far as I'm concerned. What did it get? It got 30%. Yeah, okay. Because the graphics are all right, but it's led me to a pretty sharpish. I was done. I was like, no, I'm out. I'm out. I'm bored of you. This is annoying beyond beyond even anything I've played in a while. So I didn't like it. What about you? It's troubled, isn't it? This with its back of the fag packet game design document. Um, you know, the reason that it's the reason that it hasn't got those things and that you specify is because that didn't fit on the back of the post-it note that the game design was written upon. Yeah. Um, a series of impossibly hard and dreary mini games here isn't there control lily as you walk around control herman and the granddad as you walk around control herman and eddie as you walk around control the dragon and a car as you fly around control herman opening doors (laughs) honestly that's as exciting as they got with the ideas of this game let's just have them doing stuff like walking around and opening doors who thinks of this rubbish it's the bloody monsters for goodness sake there's loads of exciting things you could have thrown into that but no no not allowed to do that what you get is boring graphics as you say they're, that's the one saving grace for this because the graphics are good and if they'd have just thought about putting a good game in there you'd have had something here because mm. those graphics did look the part the house looked good the backgrounds looked you know spooky in a 
not in a quite as good as um, uh, Cauldron, Cauldron Two kind two, of way, but no. But, but it had a, it looked like the part, and the characters looked like the characters. That was all good. That music is uh, is what I would describe <laughs> as a uh, that's a Homer's doorbell, isn't it? That <laughs> it can't be stopped. <laughs> it can't be stopped. No, 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 no. It makes you grit your teeth. You're like, oh god, here we go again. Um, so it's awful. And yes, it is the theme. But you know what? An option to turn that off. I have got a volume. You know, this is what this is. Don't, this is. This is the monkey's paw again. How many times have we said <laughs> the music's right there? Just use it. Just use it. How many times have we said it about these classic tunes? And they went, okay. Here's the music. You asked for it. You asked for it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so sprites backgrounds all good. Um, they're not bad at all. But the way the game plays, just you know, it's just a walk, collect, avoid, shoot, repeat, don't die. That's kind of, the, and there's nothing more to it than that. It doesn't get any more exciting. You're just walking around and not dying a lot. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's really what this game is. And that's not a game design that I want to, you know, get involved with the monsters. A lot of money for this, isn't it, too? Nine quid. Yeah, you know, ten, you know, ten that, quid. That would bring the monsters back from the dead. You no, know, they wouldn't be very happy about that. No, Grandpa um, would not it, be happy. It wouldn't. It just it feels underdeveloped in the sense of the game design. Um, they obviously got the graphics done first, so nah, what a shame. Um, I mean, I know the monsters is an old thing, and no, not everyone's into it. Same way the Adams family, but there's that. I think there's because the Adams family gets a lot of attention, so the monsters also gets the attention. They're very much, um, you know, two sides of the same coin, as it were. Mm. Um, so you know, but I don't know. I didn't like this. It's an expensive game. I would never have bought it anyway. But um, I can't help but feeling you'd you'd be quite angry at yourself um, when you start to play this game and get into it, and you're just you know constantly trying to either get more spells by spell juicing, and it's just, just yeah, just rubbish, just endless boring rubbish, and that's boring to do. There's another boring one. No, 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 no. Thirty percent, yeah, for the graphics, as you say. There's no other reason to like this, and that music needs to go back to hell where it came from. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. This and the uh, Blasteroids music today. Yeah, Homer's doorbell. The Homer's doorbell <laughs> award is going to be given at the end of these awards. I think we need when to. We do the well, we've got three contenders already. <laughs> we have. Uh, There's bound to be more. There's bound to be more. All right, there we go. That's the uh, that's the first part over with. That's not a great first part. Uh, it's April. What can we say? Oh, okay, let's, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. <laughs> we've got we've got film and TV. Hopefully there'll be some things in film and TV that will make us smile for April 1989. So uh, please do keep listening. back let's get into some tv first of april not an april fool but five star appeared on cbbc's going live to promote their latest single with every heartbeat during a live phone in a teenage caller verbally abuses them and asks why they are so crap presenter sarah green quickly cuts off the call as the tirade continues Uh, there you go Supposedly on 23rd of September 2019, an individual claiming to be Elliot Fletcher, the caller, apologised to the band for the incident via a social media account. However, doubt is cast on the authenticity of the apology after several other people claim to be the notorious caller. I'm Spartacus. I'm I was Spartacus. Say, there's no time to go Spartacus on it. <laughs> what weirdness is this? Why would you suddenly become a claimer? You didn't do that. I abused those people when they were on TV. I know. It's like, that's, don't claim that. That's the last thing you want to be claiming. 
It's a pretty <laughs> nasty rant as well. I found the, it's on YouTube, the clip. We'll stick it in the show notes. I found the clip with the swearing. It is a pretty, like, unwarranted tirade. Very dumb. Um, I don't think I've ever heard the full version. 50. I'm oh, it's, it's, that. It's, 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 it's lots of, I'm not going to say all the swear words in it because there's all the really nasty ones, but Oof. lots of MFs, lots of Fs. Lots, it's very nasty. And they're all shell shocked. Sarah Green's totally pro, though. She's just like, you know, switches the phone off, neutralizes that electro scan, and that's <laughs> yeah. the end of that. But what a dickhead, eh? To do that, to, you know, there's yeah. no need to do that. Just you know, trying to get you 15 minutes of shame. Well, it's you one of these. Don't confess to it later in life. Whatever. Crazy. No, true. Although it has become one of those. Do you remember the 80s staples? Yeah, it's on all of them. Yeah, on those Channel Five have made a channel out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> do you remember this? <laughs> At 10 o'clock, we discussed the outburst and CBBC's going live from 1989. 11 o'clock. <laughs> We've got to introduce Sarah Green about the... Yeah, it would be, because yeah, on that programme they have, like, when they interview the people, it'd be the guy that was in the background, the third guy that held the camera, <laughs> the light, the guy that changed the light bulb the day before. It's like, well, I changed the light bulbs, and yeah, I remember it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> 3rd of April, Channel 4 launches its breakfast television show, the Channel 4 Daily. Don't remember Ooh. this at all. The programme is based heavily on news and current affairs. That's why you don't remember it. (laughs) True. With segments focusing on sports, finance, lifestyles, art, and entertainment and discussion. It is axed in 1992 (laughs) after failing to gain enough viewers and was subsequently replaced by the much more popular The Big Breakfast. Oh, dear. Do you you not remember any of it? Uh, I mean, no, I used to, I think, 19, trying to think, 1989, uh, what was that, uh, just ending the first year of the sixth form, I was getting up at about 20 to 9, having a quick shower, (laughs) wandering to school with a round of toast in my hand. And that was probably my morning. So you, so. you weren't going to be uh, up at 6am to watch the Channel 4 Daily then? God, no. <laughs> no. And I mean, how could they go from it being so wrong, Channel 4 Daily, to say, right, The Big Breakfast was a great show and it lasted for quite some time, didn't it? Uh, it did launch quite a few careers as well, didn't it? Just a bit, yeah. Just a few, yeah. Chris Evans, Denise Van Outen, Johnny... Yeah. Johnny Vaughan. Johnny, Johnny Vaughan, yeah. Yeah. Everyone quite say mental, mental, chicken oriental. That's what they said on that. They said that you on want that show. To. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Big Breakfast was good. But yeah, I don't remember that, the Channel 4 one. I mean, you you know, you're up against Breakfast. My mum would always watch Breakfast TV on on BBC One, always. If I wasn't, yeah. that, was, that was on. So yeah. Channel 4 didn't get a look in. No. It's not a look in. And prior to that, we used to have Radio Humberside on in the mornings when I was young. Wow, you can tell you lived on the Wivers. <laughs> It wasn't my choice. It was that, it was that of the shipping forecast. I was going to say, you know, I'm surprised it wasn't the shipping forecast. It, if I think it about would have it. been if it depended who was in and who got to the bloody radio first, and you weren't allowed to touch the damn thing. So, <laughs> wind speed seven, doggo. North Utsira, South Utsira, moderate, good. <laughs> the shipping forecast. Anyway, 15th of April. Uh, I won't. You can't joke about this. Anyway, no, the date of the Hillsborough disaster. The BBC's cameras are at the Hillsborough ground to record the FA oh, Cup boy. semi-final clash between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest for their match of the day program. As the disaster unfolds, events are related to their live sports show grandstand, resulting in extreme emotional impact on the general British population. No yeah, one, this is horrific. I don't it's think horrific. anyone of our age range can ever forget that footage, can they? Really? No, 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 no. no. Just awful. I remember, yeah, cause just awful, horrible. I don't want to say too much about it. Just. No. another reason to hate the sun there you go yeah exactly that yeah 
And there is a little documentary, which there's a lot of documentaries on YouTube. There's, I found a quite good one, which we'll post in the show notes. If it's something you're interested in, then go and watch that because it's a you know it's quite interesting to watch the anatomy of it all. And yeah. See, you know what mistakes have been made. The only good, the only thing I would say on the, on the back of all of this is that you know you can only hope that valuable and and they were valuable lessons were learned, you know, because of these disasters. So that thankfully things like that can never happen again. Not on the account of the crappy newspapers that were trying to do, do everybody in from it yeah. i have to say so but the the people of uh, you know that have rallied around that the people that, that, were, that were affected by it you know they have genuinely gone on to sort of really push to get justice and all the rest of it and you've got to admire that they've made real cha- changes in that sport for the, for the better yeah uh, tragic mm. that it happened tragic mm. uh 20th of april john leslie becomes the first scottish presenter of blue peter on bbc one do you remember him starting on there, John Leslie? Very, very vaguely. I mean, I'm not, not sure I've, I turned into what's his face off of the fast show then, don't I, for a moment? <laughs> very, 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 <laughs> very drunk. Very, 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 very drunk. On the first episode, he turned up eating a haggis in a kilt, <laughs> just in case you didn't realise he was Scottish. <laughs> he had a fake ginger beard on. He went, ah, ha, ha, ha. Honestly. <laughs> they call the me fit, Willie. You know, exactly. He just, he just, you know, they've got groundskeeper Willie on to the uh, Blue <laughs> Peter. they really? Is that yeah. true? Yeah, it came, it came on eating and talking about Scottish stuff, which is fair enough because, you know, you know, maybe that needed, you know, I, I, I get it. There's, there's two ways to look at it. There's like, he's proud of his yeah. town. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and that's a damn rare thing. Um, exactly. There's, there's a beautiful irony that's going to that's going to follow the next thing I'm going to say and see if you can spot this irony. So, in, so he, he actually went on, John Leslie, to become the, um, aside from a sort of a brief flirtation with somebody called um, Abby Titmus, which we won't talk about. All right. That happened. Um, he then became a presenter for This Morning, which is a big TV show in the UK. If you're not from the UK, TV show, been running for forever, various different hosts. And he was actually a host on that show. It was the famously hosted by Richard Maidley and Judy Finnegan. And they departed the show and it was replaced by different people. And he he was on there with uh, Fern Britton, I think, and it was him. And then later they changed. But in 2002, after some allegations were thrown at him, um, he was dismissed from the programme and replaced by Phil Schofield who has now also been dismissed from the show because of allegations against him. Well, it was sexual allegations, wasn't it? It was yeah, yeah, dubious. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but that's what I mean. But it's just it's just irony. that sh- They keep saying how pristine and how wonderful the show is, and it just looks like it seems to have the same problems that have been occurring for quite some time, going in mm. loops like a, soap, like a soap opera, one might say. One might say. Hopefully nothing happens without Dermot. We can't have Dermot O'Leary having... Dermot? No, his head's just becoming more and more cuboid, isn't it? <laughs> Damn O'Leary. Yeah, it's happening. I've noticed. I've noticed this is happening to a few different like famous TV slips. If you not noticed the cuboiding of the of the TV slips, I don't have TV these days. So, well, because um, Dermo's head's going quite cuboid, and you know, and it, it began some time ago with uh, with Sophie Ellis Baxter. She started to get like cuboid of the head, but she's she's rounded off a bit, so she's not as bad now. But Dermo's going cuboid. Uh, Gordon Ramsay is going cuboid. He's, oh, he's going always like been, a cube. He's always been like a cube, though. He is, but there's, there's, there's more of them. He's always, he's always looked like a, a character. We've said this, he's low polyism, but they look like he's looking like a character from Goldeneye. Honestly, the more now I've mentioned it to you, and when you do watch you know, the few programmes that you watch here and there, you'll start to notice the cuboiding of the heads because the. <laughs> It's happening more and more and more. I don't know what's going on, whether they're all wearing the same tight hats or something, but I think it's, their, heads, just, their heads are going cuboid. We're just seeing it without the uh, softening that CRT TVs uh, would, get, would, would give to the people's you know, heads. <laughs> when we see it in you know, 4K, <laughs> high res. We, we see it in proper high res, so we can just do, oh my God, his head's a cube. Get the CRT filter on him. 
It'll explain so much. All the time they're at kids' parties and the balloons pop and they're like, why do they keep popping? They keep blowing them up and they keep popping. Absolutely. It was on the corners of their sharp cuboid heads. <laughs> Goes playing football with his kid and every time there's a corner it flies in, the ball bursts. <laughs> exactly. Just uh, pass, pass me my hat, will you? He's misshapen this. I can't even go on my head now. It's like trying to fit a square peg on a round hole. Who's <laughs> squared be fez? <laughs> my fez has gone all, all cuboid. It's not a fez anymore. It's a bloody rectangle. It's a cube. What's going on? <laughs> Anyway, so there's cuboiding of the heads, and people okay. listen to this podcast. If you spot a cuboid or a cubie, as we like to call them, please you know, give generously. Do let us know. Yeah, do let we'll give generously, but let us know. You now we're trying to catalogue them as it goes. Yeah. Or I am. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing to do with me. Just go to uh, Graham's blog, cuboiding. And, and for the record, my, my head is is very round actually, and Aidy's head is quite round as well. It's not cuboid. No, your if you head know is anyone who's round. going cuboid, you need to uh, you need to know just watch your watch your hats. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> so, they'll, rip, yeah. they'll rip and through you... any benny out you've got. The, you know any beanie you've got, they're going to go right through the corners of that, ruin it for you. Absolutely, and uh, God's sake, keep away from balloons. Twenty <laughs> first <laughs> um, of April, BBC Two's twenty fifth anniversary. Program includes an edition of Arena in which the author Graham Greene sets out to trace a namesake who posed as him for many years. An edition of The Late Show, which looks at the early BBC Two jazz program, Jazz 625. <laughs> nice. Great. Yeah, nice. I bet <laughs> it was like that as well. Just welcome to Jazz 65. Great. They know how to celebrate on BBC Two. Yeah, don't they? Good wow, Lord. party. Party for BBC. 25th anniversary. Woo, party. That's it. Let's have 625 jazz. I bet that's the time signature as well. <laughs> 625. <laughs> yeah. I play 625 beats for every one of your four. How does that even work? We don't know. It just happens. Don't worry about it. It's the notes you don't hear. Exactly. We hope you enjoy it. What a cop-out that is as well for jazz. I mean, I, I do like jazz as a music, don't get me wrong, but when they say, oh, it's, it's about the notes in between notes, it's like, shut up. <laughs> It's not about that. <laughs> that's like, uh, you know, it's like, you, it's like, you, oh, so if I put like my TV when I put it on that smoothing mode, am I going to hear the notes that you're not playing? Like, as he exactly. in frames? Do you no. know, I didn't enjoy the Lord of the Rings. Ah, you didn't read the words between the words, you see, if you'd have done that. You'd <laughs> have enjoyed it twice as long. Shut up. There are no words there. And I don't, I'm not hearing your stupid notes. Even I do hear the blue ones, but none of the others. I wish George R.R. R. Martin would follow that as well, because he, he writes the words between the words and between those bloody words. I've read all of the bloody, that last Sodian Song of Ice and Fire book. Nothing happens for a thousand pages. That's quite the talent. God, that's heavy, isn't it? A thousand pages. He's written nothing. over 5,000 pages so far for that damn story. 5,300, oh. I think it is. Entire chapter Nothing, about nothing. Nothing's happened since the Red Wedding. Have you read the um, the Gorman Gas trilogy before? Uh, no, I know of them. The, I've tri- I think I tried to the, read them. Y- the first ago. three chapters of the first book of the Gorman Gas trilogy is three three chapters, endless chapters of a guy describing a kitchen, like a medieval kitchen. <laughs> God, I gave up hope to live in when I read that. I was like, oh, please make it end. That's like Tad Williams' books. I read all of these Tad Williams books. There were four of them. And uh, so many times the uh, the main hero just got lost in underground tunnels and his chapters are like 30, 40 pages long. And uh, each chapter is just one of those chapters. It's a whole chapter of him just in a tunnel. It's like, it's like he went to the left, more tunnels followed. <laughs> Pretty much. He got a bit darker, went down. Oh, he thought he'd never get out of here. I thought I'd never get out of that bloody chapter. Is there no way out of this tunnel? He said, <laughs> as it echoed into another tunnel. <laughs> just goes on and on. Oh, you know, many times you're like, what am I doing? Why am I reading this? But yeah. 
I did. Yeah. I read it all. I must Anyway, 26th of April, uh, BBC One is A Case of Spontaneous Human Combustion, QED, Ooh. documentary, which sets out to investigate apparent instances of the phenomenon of spontaneous human combustion. Combustion of the human body without an apparent external source of ignition. This program terrified me. Absolutely <laughs> scared the crap out of me. I remember watching it because I thought, oh, yeah, because they've been spontaneous human combustion. You posted that picture there, the thingy with the leg. It, yeah, there was Hamlin books picture. of horror. There was sections in them about spontaneous was. human combustion. Was. And I remember reading them and just being like, we could just burst into flames and we just explode yeah. and it don't burn anything around us about us. We just, just yeah. Yeah. Like, just terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. As a, as a very, you know, as in, an imaginative 17 year old. Yeah. This terrified. I was, I was convinced I was, I won't go near naked flames for years. No. And then they, put me they, they eventually make, make a film out of it, don't they? Yeah. A, yeah, they do. A crappy film. Brad Dourif in it, shouting a lot. <laughs> Well, you would. You that's that's, films, that's any film with Brad Dourif. <laughs> Especially if that's surprisingly <laughs> true, actually, yeah. But, uh, yes. yeah, this scary this, uh, stuff, wasn't it? It was genuinely, yeah, I didn't I didn't enjoy this, but I was fascinated by it, though. Absolutely fascinated by it, as you would be by this, you know, into this kind of yeah. thing back then. Yeah, um, you put. We know now about the Wick effect. What's, yes, we what's do. What's that? So they now know, because there is obviously no such thing as spontaneous human combustion, just so you know, there's that, it's been debunked now <laughs> massively. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, you happen to be talking about. No. Um, so uh, the wick effect is basically what happens is your um, body fat that you have inside of you acts like, imagine a candle. You basically become a candle. Ooh. And so there's a lot of um, internal, lot, they discovered that a lot of the people who supposedly died of, of spontaneous human combustion and the fact that it hadn't burned things around in, say, a flat. So the TV was perfectly fine, but they're, no, they'd been burned to ash, as it were. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, their clothes that they were in, because of some of the materials and things, acted like a like wrapping them in like a case. So they become a bit like a candle, and because they essentially had probably died of you know other causes initially, so they probably had a heart attack or something like that, and they'd had naked flames, candles, things like that. That had ignited them in some way, ignited their clothing or ignited some part of it, but they didn't burn like you would expect them to. They kind of burn a bit like a candle wick. So that burns all the way down the center and it renders all the fat, but it doesn't actually generate a lot of heat internally. And there's a entire science description of all no. that. The long and the short of it is it doesn't mean that people explode into... <laughs> that still sounds quite horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's truly horrible, yeah. Oh, you just burn down the, people just die burn down well, the middle. Oh, well, great. It, it, it was no coincidence that it it happened to you know people who were older, yeah. And yeah. those are the people who had a lot of callow gas fires who'd sat to get warm, <laughs> you know. They'd slowly passed away or had a heart attack, and then they'd, when they'd, they'd stumbled onto the fire, and eventually it just turned them into a human candle. And when they found them, they'd just found a foot sticking out the bottom of the part what of that was a rug, yeah. And they ash, and it's because they you know, essentially their body fat had rendered them into a sort of human candle, which is gross. Um, but at least it's not spontaneous human combustion. It's probably more palatable, actually, to say, I'm sorry, but your grandma exploded. We don't know why it happens. It just does. Rather than going, she fell over on a fire and she melted like a candle. Horrible. All the way, yeah. <laughs> just slowly. She turned <laughs> it to tallow. Yeah, well, they tested it with a pig carcass on a TV show later as well to sort of prove that that was how it worked. When they wrapped a, a pig carcass in a, um, I think it was a carpet, like a rug, and did the same thing, proved that that's how it sort of worked. So You mean they proved the it in a, test? Yeah, which is, you know, of all the tests you're going to prove, that's probably you know, the one that you're not going to put in your CV, is it? That's the PhD I want to write. <laughs> anyway, that's the, the, but that doesn't stop the horrible pictures and the, the famous picture of the woman, the elderly woman's foot sticking out of the ash, you know. Yeah. Maybe post that in the show notes. You can hunt these things down on YouTube, on, YouTube, yeah, on, on Google. It's, it's right there. Quite grim. 
Uh, anyway, new TV shows for the month. First of April, there was Ghost Train. Did you this watch Ghost Train? The, Do you remember it? I bet this is one of the. Is this one of the Saturday morning TV shows? Was Similar it? kind of thing. Yeah, it was one of those sort of shows, kids show with multi-format show. With yeah, live live stuff happening and that. They're like going live type thing. Was yeah. it ITV? Wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yes, it was. Like? Yeah, it was ITV's version. I think principally um, famous for having some cartoons that everyone watched on it. Scooby Doo, the later. What version. was the one was... that had the um, that you know what had what was the uh, oh, sorry the one that had uh, the Return of the Killer Tomatoes on. Uh, that came much later, I think. Was it? Yeah. Well, I say much later. I'm not sure what that was, actually. That might have just been on... I don't know. You'd have to Google that. Okay. It could have been Ghost Train. It could have easily been, because they could had have... the real Ghostbusters on there and Trapdoor and Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I just wondering whether it was that. But it wasn't the original Scooby-Doo they had on. They had the Scooby-Doo Club or something like that, one of the later really horrible Scooby-Doos. We don't, we don't talk about that. No, no, the no. Scooby-Don'ts. Scooby- don't. No, we <laughs> yeah, don't. yeah, exactly. 2nd of April is May to December. Yeah. Oh, God, this was so boring. My mum so loved it. Boring. I remember. I do it. remember this. Yeah. Just, ugh, dull, when you're dull. watching it, if if you felt your life draining away, like it was from May to December. All right. My mum really dug it though. She was. Yeah, into it was that. May 1989 to December 1994. It was five it was years worth. It was like, oh, so long it endless, for. dreary, guff, boring. Second uh, of April was the Heroes. Not one I was familiar with at all, but it apparently came out on DVD later. It's yeah. a miniseries, but I couldn't British, find much about it. British-Australian miniseries on Operation Jaywick, a World War II Special Forces Ooh. raid on Japanese shipping in Singapore Harbour by the Australian wow. Z Special Unit. Bless them. There we go. That's what that was. Uh, 3rd of April was the Channel 4 Daily. Mm-hmm. Weird. So was this the this one, the breakfast show, was it? Channel 4 Daily, yeah. It's the same one. Oh, it was. Yeah. All right. We've talked about that. Also on the 3rd of April was the Bartons. The Australian I never, in- never saw that. Did no, the Australian invasion continues. No, I don't know what this is. What is it? Never heard of the Bartons. It's an Australian I- television drama aimed at older children and young teens. Never uh, heard of it. No, no idea. No. I'm an old. I was an older teen, and it never got. I never even got to my eyeballs. No. Fourth of April was Tugs. Oh, <laughs> this, you know, this- it's probably a good job that's not out now, isn't it? <laughs> Thomas, so this is from the producer of Thomas the Tank Engine, which is. is a bit of a euphemism. And then we get Tugs, which is another <laughs> euphemism. <laughs> like, it is now. How did they get... <laughs> I'm sure it was back then. <laughs> Thomas the Tank, better tug in. <laughs> Honestly, well, they no put the faces on boats. smiley faces. Well, they're very happy. Um, they're all... Um, it wasn't ever going to be as popular as Thomas the Tank, was it? Maybe Oops. having a Thomas the Tank might be more popular. But if you went for a tug, um, and if you know, <laughs> if you went for a watery eye tomank, watery eye tomank, I don't know. Does it work? You know, it didn't really work for me on Thomas the Tank Engine. But I'm not a you know a five year old. But I don't think kids really warmed to the idea of just tugboats, you know, barging around doing boat shit. So <laughs> no. you know, it's not very much fun, is it? No. I don't know who did the voices. I'm hoping it's the same guy that did voices for Thomas the Tank Engine. Well, just that, well. That's thingy, isn't it? Ringo, Ringo. Star, yeah, because it would just be good if he is. If you're going to anthropomorphize anything to do with trains, planes, Have boats, whatever, it has to be him. Uh, <laughs> it's set in the Roaring Twenties. So oh, okay, the the two anthropomorphized tugboat fleets, the Starfleet and the Zed Stacks, who compete Starfleet? against each other in the fictional big city port, the biggest oh, harbor yeah. in the world. Like yeah, they they built a massive diorama and they thought well, that'd be good for a TV series. Wasn't though. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Sixth uh, of April is tricky business. Mm. Don't know what. I don't know what this is. What is it? Why? Uh, it was a British children's TV show, a sitcom actually. And um, weirdly, it had a really odd cast, which is why I sort of. Up. So it's got like um, a few famous names in this. Eunice Stubbs was in it in the first series. Patsy Ooh. Palmer made an appearance. A puppet rabbit called Crabtree. Um, <laughs> 
performed <laughs> by Marcus Clark and made by Hand Up Puppets. I'm not sure I'd like the sound of that. That's Bernie that, uh, Clifton was in the uh, second uh, season. Leslie Schofield in the third. Paul Zenon. I thought, you know, maybe Zenon Attack. Zenon, Paul Zenon 2, that's his brother, was in uh, Amiga game. No, he wasn't. And no. it also, he played somebody called Tricky Mickey in series two and series three, <sighs> as well as being the magic consultant of both those series. You can't, you made that job title up. <laughs> What's your job? I'm the magic consultant. I'm the magic consultant. They consult you about magic? No, I'm just really good. I'm the magic <laughs> I'm also, consultant. I also play Tricky Mickey. The magic consultant. I'll get lost, bloody Paul. <laughs> Paul's then on. You know, Zenon. no one named after a bloody, you, you know, uh, uh, what were they called? <laughs> Bulb. No. The things that make up the world, <laughs> carbon, helium, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's named after a, a gas and a, a, a yeah, what, what, an, an element. <laughs> element. God's sake. You tell him about a cold. See, my brain you, you needed to contact Tricky Mickey and ask him for some uh, <laughs> consultation there about what you needed to say. He'd have told yeah. you. Well, he would have been the magic consultant, so he'd have just told me how to do a spell. Yes. Damn him. 8th Stupid of April show. is the world of David the Gnome. What is this? <laughs> Crap. That's the word you're looking for. Is it Spanish? A Spanish yes, animated it's... television series based on the children's book, The Secret Book of Gnomes, yes. by the Dutch author Will Huygen and illustrator Rien Putlu. How did this go from a Dutch book to Spain to us three years later? What's going on? I like the fact that it says, The World of David the Gnome, originally titled David El Nomo. <laughs> David, David El Nomo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Because that's got a dramatic Spanish pause in there. That's what that is. David, El Nomo. It's got yeah. that. So that's how it's, ha It's got that at the end of yeah, it. Yeah, don't work here. David, the gnome. Don't it's work not, as well. If you say it, no, because if you say it in the UK version, David, the gnome, it's like, hello, David, the gnome. But the Spanish, he's <laughs> it's got more, ha about him. It I has. am David, El Nomo. <laughs> I am the last thing you will see. <laughs> <laughs> Eighth of April. Pass me my hat. <laughs> <laughs> Who has put holes in this? Dermot. <laughs> and the last thing you you'll bl- see. You blockheaded crazy. <laughs> no more this morning for you. Eighth <laughs> um, of April is MacGyver. No. This ran forever, didn't it? 1985 to 92 and came back in 2016. It's Richard Dean Anderson, isn't it? I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're um, right. Who would then obviously go on to do, um, he would be Stargate. That's where I know Richard Dean yes. Anderson from, the TV yes. series of Stargate. He played the, not the James Bader, he was the Kurt Russell role, wasn't he? He was. In the film. Now, I have never watched an episode, a full episode of MacGyver. I know he makes shit out of household items when he's trapped. Yeah, it's like, um, a, sing, it's like a single man A-team. Yeah, yeah, that's all I remember of it. I just remember Patty and Selma from The Simpsons banging on about <laughs> watching MacGyver. That's really all I remember it for. Uh, MacGyver's on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Scrub my corns, MacGyver's on. (laughs) 12th of April, no strings. No. Some crappy BBC sitcom. Yep, who cares? Uh, 14th of April, Windfalls. This show, the description itself. (laughs) Windfalls is a British stop-motion animated children's television series created, written, and directed by Jenny Kenner. The Windfalls stories teach children about reading signs in nature, herbal medicine, and the plants of the British countryside. All of the animated characters are real leaves, grasses, and pressed flowers, and really f***ing boring. <laughs> Sorry. Sounds like a right load of But children, these mushrooms that we've got here, take one of those each, one of those each. That's what we call a dried gram. How are you all doing now? Yes, yes, Billy, yes. Yes, that yes. grass does look like a duvet now. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yes, Billy, you have, you've now got seven fingers. Well done. <laughs> 
I haven't spoken in two hours, Billy. I don't know who you're talking to. Um, but it sounds like a right... Apart from that episode, the rest of it's a right load of old crap. Yeah, it probably is. Uh, 14th of April, Grim Tales. I liked Grim Tales. Yeah, it was Rick Mail, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, uh, very, very vaguely remember this. I think I was... Again, I'm just too old for this by this point. I'm 17. I'm not watching this. Stuff. Well, he told the stories in a very Rick Mail way, very much like um, like his sort of act, bit of an act that he did. Yeah, the, kind of the character that he played. It's quite lively, funny. Was it sort of a spin? Because he, cause he did the... Um, Jack and Ori at one point, didn't he? Yes, yeah, it's very similar. I think that's what kind of prompted it because he was so successful with that. He so. was, yeah. Um, did he, what did he do? Was it George's Marvelous Medicine he did? Yes, he did, yes. Correct. Yeah. Uh, also, 14th of April is Surgical Spirit. This is some kind of sitcom. It was based around Sheila Sabatini, a senior surgeon at the Gillies, Gillies Hospital, whose verbal skills have most people running for cover as her tongue is as sharp as their scalpel. He dominated <laughs> nope, the operating theatre. While at home, she was divorcing her Italian husband, Remo, unarmed and dangerous, <laughs> with whom she had a son, <laughs> Daniel, who's armed and not quite so dangerous. Sheila was also a gossip. Often, go- That doesn't sound right. Sheila no. was also a gossip, often gossiping with her best friend, theatre administrator, Joyce Watson. So it's gone from some, like, power, high-powered yeah. woman. No, don't want to talk to me. And then she's a bit of a gossip, though, because she's a woman. Do you know what would have been good in that show if she actually performed the surgery with a tongue that was as sharp as a scalpel? <laughs> so it was like, right, just lay them there. Right, is everyone ready? <laughs> yeah. Like a stub. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Is that- I'm just going to make a three-inch <laughs> slice uh, just, below the, uh, uh, just below the chest. <laughs> Imagine that. Just need to make a yeah. slight incision over there. Oh dear, I've sliced a nipple off with. Oh, and that's the other one. Oh, this blood. Every, uh, oh no, I've cut my own lip. Have I? Or is it your lip? Oh, this tongue, this stupid sharp tongue. So sharp. It's as sharp as a scalpel, you know. It's time to go home and speak to my husband. I hope he's armed because when he's not, he's dangerous. <laughs> For those who don't oh, know, dear. Remo One Armed and Dangerous is a film with Fred, what's his face, from uh, Trevor's. Yes, it is. From the 80s. Uh, 23rd another, another of April. one that never rented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, with a name like that. Uh, 23rd of April, Tanamera, Lion of Singapore. No, no. Another right. Australian series. Uh, yeah. One that completely missed me, that one. 20 th- and there's another one, 23rd of April, The Henderson Kids, another Australian series. Yeah. Yeah, we're into deep Australian territory now. Oh, we really we know, are. We're, we're, everything Australian was fair game on UK TV at this point. <laughs> it was. 23rd of April, Capstick's Law. Oh, God. Let's get in some films. I don't want to talk about Capstick's Law. <laughs> no, get some no, films. It sounds stupid. Chapstick's Law. Rubbish. <laughs> You'll always run out. You can, you can never find it just when you need it. That's Chapstick's <laughs> you Law. Always, you always have to buy Wait, a new one. You end up, and then down. you find a, the, the mysterious place of all Chapsticks, where the graveyard <laughs> of Chapsticks, where you find nine of them. You're like, where? what? What? <laughs> Fourth <laughs> uh, of April films. Fourth of April, uh, you could have gone seen Splendor. Yes, yeah, a film made entirely about a sugar alternative. <laughs> it's actually not. It's an Italian film, I think. It is. Uh, yeah. It is an Italian film about the pleasures um, and the wonder of cinema. Yeah, it may the as man- well be Clarky Cat because uh, yeah. I do not know it. No, I don't. Seventh uh, of <laughs> April, you could have gone seen Return from the River Kwai. You shouldn't have, though. <laughs> Don't go see that. No. When this film was released in the United Kingdom, this is a thingy from the IMDb, the movie carried a legal warning and disclaimer <laughs> that it was not in any way related to or a sequel to the film The Bridge on the River Kwai. The, I think the British take The Bridge on the River Kwai film quite seriously and because of what it portrays. They should. Like that. And yeah. then to, the, for the fact that a, a legal warning... <laughs> Had to be put at the front of this film going, it's no to do with that film. No, it got, you know, 
horribly reviewed, obviously, because they just made a load of rubbish up, and it is rubbish as well. Really rubbish, that film. Yeah, dreadful. Uh, you could also, and probably should have done, oh, actually, no, maybe gone seeing this, Alien Nation. Yeah, it's pretty good, Alien Nation. It's actually, oh, it's a bit of an odd film. It's like, it's like a, you know, if they weren't wearing alien masks. It's a buddy movie, isn't it? It's a buddy, it. it's a buddy yeah. cop movie. There's been loads of these sort yeah. of weird things, but it's reminded me of uh, Enemy Mine. Also, for, um, I always thought Similar, yeah. a bit of a weird precursor to... I don't know why, but it always sticks in my head like uh, District 9. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Like the aliens kind of have come crime. down and they've integrated, and they've, but they've got their yeah. own thing. There was that other film on Netflix recently with elves and magic and stuff like that, where there were it was, it was orcs and stuff living in LA. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's obviously, it's a it, it was a big sort of mirror being held up, wasn't it? The kind of race yes, problems absolutely, and stuff absolutely, in those yeah, it's, cities. And, it's, it's one of yeah. those. It's a sort of yeah, sci-fi of take on um, yeah, integration and uh, ethnic populations moving into uh, somewhere else and exactly. not being liked and things like that. And, so. and there's more of an echo of District 9. Oh, District 9 has more of an echo of it. You're absolutely right. You know, There's, there's a clear line you can draw to them. And there's a, there was, of course, the alienation tv show which yeah, was, was a little bit more about the stuff that we've just spoke about and less about the buddy buddy cop stuff yeah, so just, they're both actually pretty good pretty good it's a good tv series as well actually it wasn't bad at all bad. underrated um if you didn't want to go see that you could have gone seen fright night part two yeah you could have <laughs> i mean it's you know it's because it's not obviously it's not um it's not the same vampire is it from the um first no, one because obviously it's his, it's his sister it's his, isn't it sisters it's sister relative yeah um and yeah. it has some good moments in it but it is a film of its moments and scenes it's not hor- it's not as good as the first one i watched most of it today because i don't think i've seen it for years since i saw it at the cinema actually so i watched most of it today and it's, uh, it's directed by tommy lee wallace which it is. is interesting so i didn't know that so i was like okay it's got some really nice shots in it i posted a shot there mm. for you so it's some really some really nice cinematography in it and it, it looks because I also watched one of my other films later on today uh, on this episode as well today, and it looks it looks like a carpenter film. It's got that sort of slightly carpenterish look, it does. Lot, but fully nice widescreen shots to it. It also has vampires and roller skates. Charlie Brewster's rocking a great side parted mullet for most of it, which is awesome. Um, and the main vampire I forgot about is uh, Judy Carman, who played Styles in, in the Mouth of Madness. That's right. Yeah. However, the weird thing about this film was that it was it was made and everything. Uh, I'm just going to read this from, uh, this was on IMDb. After the filming was wrapped up, Ronnie McDowell and Fright Night creator Tom Holland were scheduled to meet with live entertainment chairman Jose Menendez to discuss making the third film, but plans died with Menendez, who was infamously murdered by his sons. Grim. As a direct consequence of this tra- horrific tragedy, part two ended up losing its planned countrywide distribution, played only one uh, one. LA and another New York theatre, which directly results in its poor box office results, you know, understandably, even though yeah. its per theatre results were pretty good, and being released almost straight to video. Since all of the movie's planned promos and ads were cancelled as well, most people never even learned of the movie's existence until they eventually noticed it on their local video store. I saw this hmm. at a late night screening um, at, at the Grimsby uh, ABC down Freeman Street. Um, it was on at yeah. 11 o'clock one, one Friday night when my brother to see it. That's where I saw it. I didn't know it was coming, but it was a very odd, a very odd thing. It's a weird, it's a strange old film, this, but it is actually better than I remembered it. And I did actually watch it, it earlier good. today. Yeah, and it, they're all I, good. There's some weird moments in it, mm-hmm. weird sort of 80s comedic moments in it, but like, you know, whatever. But but it it has a, a good, another good tone to it, like the first film. There's a decent tone yeah. to this. Some, and some, and some really sound kind of nice sequences as well. The dancing sequence in the nightclub and the scene in there is really good. Yeah. Really good. And Blade borrows a little bit of that kind of vibe later on for when they do the uh, famous the famous sort of nightclub blood blood dance scene. And although it's obviously yeah. not as brutal as that, but the idea of having vampires in a club and stuff happening and 
people not sure about it and, and that that's all very much yeah. where this all began and she's some good moments in and that. she's really good as the main vampire yes yes she is i mean i'm not a fan of the royal lady person but there's other stuff going on in that film and of course let's not forget that we've still you know, later down the line you've got the amazingly good and horribly underrated remake oh remake the fright yeah. night which yeah, is really genuinely good. genuinely a great film to watch yeah, it is. Not the sequel, though. Whoever watched the sequel. No, don't. No, it's like saying that the uh, watch the <laughs> sequel to um, Jeepers Creepers 3. Never watch Jeepers Creepers 3, ever. No, don't, don't, don't do, do that. It. Well, for many but reasons. But that is a great film. For, worth checking out. The Fright Night series 1 and 2, the originals, are worth checking out. They, they follow on from each other. Same characters and everything as well, principally. It's all good. Yeah, it is good. I quite enjoyed it. Same day as well. There's a lot coming out. Camille Claudel came out as well. French film, I'm guessing. With um, Isabella Gianni in it. Ah, Isabella Gianni. Yes. Remember her from 1979's Nosferatu, or Boobs, as it was known in, uh, in my house? <laughs> it's not the official translation. And she was also, of course, in the, the very uh, Lorraine Margot, which I went to see with Gary um, at the Whitgift Cinema. And me, I think. So, yeah, you might have been there. Boobs yeah, in was. Dresses was the uh, not official translation. I just remember that. I'd call that Blood. Blood, it's the sweating oh, it's very, blood. Very, very gory. Yeah, very gory. It's poison, the king, doesn't he? Blood, sweats blood. Yeah, yes. It's a very violent movie as well. These obviously culminates in a very violent scene, but it's a very good film as well. But yeah. Yeah. There we go. 14th of April, you've got to go and see The Tall Guy. Um, yes. Directed by Mel Smith. Yeah, Richard Curtis one. This is before Four Weddings and all that kind of thing. This was them getting it into... Is. Well, Richard Curtis getting into different stuff. Star Jeff Goldblum. Um, I went to the cinema... To see this on a date i can't remember who i went with but i went with the girl i remember seeing this and i seem to remember that the sex scene in this because there's a really sort of clumsy awkward sex scene that seems to go on for ages it was really awkward to watch you sure you didn't try the old uh hole in the bottom of the box of popcorn trick or something <laughs> no, no i did not i did actually but the popcorn was really <laughs> bloody hot yeah and the guy that grabbed off he was like oh my god <laughs> Get out! <laughs> oh, wait till you're in the theatre. For that, <laughs> we don't, for that. Do that don't do it. Don't stick it in here. And for God's sake, don't do it with toffee popcorn. <laughs> Ew. Uh, no, I didn't do that. It was just. I remember just sitting there going uncomfortable. Yeah, it is a bit awkward when that happens. For a seventeen, for seventeen year old boy, I was nervous and everything and what have you. you just yeah. uh, uh, exactly. They're having sex. Yeah, don't. I went on a date one time when I was uh, went to see the movie Jade. Have you seen the movie Jade? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, that that was awkward. Just awkward, all round awkward. <laughs> That's because you're heavy panting that you I did, do. Well, I that didn't film. quite anticipate that it was going to be that raunchy. I knew it was kind of raunchy-ish, but not that bad. But yeah, at least you never went. At least you never went to see Bound with someone. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's got Corky in it. I have to yeah, watch that now. Yeah. Fourteenth April continued. Uh, there's the Deadpool. Now I did watch this today. God, it's bad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yep. And you've written here, The Last of the Dirty Harrow Films, the one that has a better story behind it, as I recall. Well, you recall wrongly. <laughs> well, when I say better story, I mean, Magnum Force and, and Dirty Harry, the first one, they're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. The Enforcer and... They sort of, yeah, the Enforcer's all right, but Sudden, Sudden Impact. Impact was like terrible. At least this one had kind of people being, you know, on a Deadpool list, people oh. being shot. How he found himself on that list of like famous people, <laughs> I don't get, but... No, no one knows. Just... <laughs> uh, it's worth watching. There's a clip here we'll, which we'll post in. Just go watch it. It's the, op- it's the opening. If there's a more 80s opening piece of music, I will eat my hat. <laughs> It there really, really is. Uh, there's a scene where Jim Carrey um, mimes to Welcome to the Jungle, which is one of the oddest things I've ever seen. It's horrible. Um, Horrid. Liam Neeson's Cockney accent. That's a thing to listen to. 
it's not book. great. Um, <laughs> it's an album. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Guns N' Roses are also in it. They actually turn up at the funeral. There's a picture oh, there God, to prove it. Oh, God, I forgot it. about that. Yeah, there they are. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure who the big guy is, though, with the hair next to him. He's blocking Axel in that image. Who's that guy? I don't know. But also in the next scene, where they're filming the scene with uh, Liam Neeson is filming the scene for the, the movie that's being made in the film, um, Slash is firing the giant um, harpoon gun. <laughs> film is stupid. It's all um, gone wrong. <laughs> it's gone very wrong. There's a bit where someone gets blown up with a toy car. It's ridiculous. It's so bad, this yeah. film. It looks like it's filmed on a it cost about 10p. It's dreadful, yeah. awful. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. That's the dead zone. And Clint Eastwood said after he made that that he wasn't going to do any more Dirty Eye movies because he was too old. Thinking, no, the films just were too crap. Don't be in them anymore. Dreadful. Don't do it. If you dated. watch. If you watch Dirty Harry and Magnum Force, it's such a fall. Because those two films, the 70s, yeah. 70s brutal, you know, yeah. dark and, and like that. This is the bit where he shoots all the guys at the beginning after the car crash. They shoot him off the road. His car crashes. He just shoots one in the head with a Magnum and it's just a pop. But he's got a Magnum 45 from about two yards away. His head would just yeah. explode. Yes, it would. And it's got that famous magnum sound hasn't it the, the, it's the dirty harry magnum gun sound which is not our magnum sounds i fired a real magnum 44 magnum in los angeles and i can tell you they don't sound anything like that and nor i could you be accurate with them from that distance you wouldn't, <laughs> hit, a, you wouldn't hit a pig from <laughs> from a meter away with it or oh, i didn't it's not that just, i was shooting at pigs because i was just rubbish just terrible Ugh, deadpool horrible if you didn't want to go see deadpool and you probably shouldn't have because it's not very good you could have gone <laughs> seen working girl Oh, working girl, working girl. This is not my thing, this. Uh, no, I mean, it's it's part of Harrison's, Harrison Ford's rich tapestry of roles post-Indiana yeah. Jones, the Han, Harris, you know, Han Solo. The things like regarding Henry, yeah. wor- you know, working yeah. girl, Mosquito Coast, Witness, all those yeah, sort Witness, of... that was the other one I was thinking All about. those sort of 80s sort of films where he was doing less action-y type type things yeah. um but obviously this wasn't this was melanie Mel, is melanie griffiths is it melanie griffiths in this it is melanie, melanie griffiths, griffiths yeah it? it is so this was one of those big films for the time massive hair massive hair in this film so much yeah. massive hair scony weaver it, isn't it as scony well. weaver as well yeah and it's all about she's a sort of melanie griffiths is a sort of regular secretary and did she try and i can't, I can't remember the, the plot it's, of it it's genuinely no good asking me it's not a film i've ever don't think i've ever watched it successfully all the way through no. yeah but i it's one of those it's one of those films about Women being not nice to women in the in the workplace as well because I think Sigourney yeah. Weaver was a bit of ninety five sort of, kind of vibes, yeah. Maybe, isn't that? But it's also I I always got the impression that this was another one of those Hollywood like we said about Rain Man backslapping itself for covering women doing well in the workplace. Look at that, we've yeah. covered it, we've covered it. Well done, well done, everyone. We've, yeah. we've you know we've 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 addressed that issue. Yes, um, the, the working girls can come good too. You can do well, pretty woman type vibes, giving off pretty woman vibes. Well, that was the, I was going to mention Pretty Woman sort of thing is the ironic, ironic thing about, yeah, even prostitutes can, can come good. Yeah, as long as they meet a Richard Gere. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. They just need a Prince Charming to be, to be their Cinderella. Yes, they do. And again, that's what this is, I guess, isn't it? It's a bit of a Cinderella story, I suppose. Yeah, it's Cinderella story. I suppose, yeah. I suppose, yeah, thinking about it, it is a bit, isn't it? Uh, Cinderella story. Cinderella story. <laughs> uh, if you didn't want to see either of them, I mean, you could have gone and seen Burning Secret. Could have, if you um, wanted to. Would you want to? I don't know. This is well. It's it's part one of the uh, Klaus Maria Brandauer Brandauer uh, double bill for the month. Well, that's me um, sleeping tonight. 
<laughs> while being treated for asthma at a country spa, <laughs> an American diplomat's lonely 12-year-old son is befriended and infatuated by a suave, mysterious baron. Aye, aye. During a, ser- story- during a story of his war experiences, the baron reveals the scar of a wound from an American soldier and thrusts a pin through it, saying, See? No feeling. Where'd you get this? Mm. Little does the boy realise that it's his turn to be wounded, but soon his adored friend heartlessly brushed him aside and turns his seductive attention to his mother. The boy's jealousy and feelings of betrayal become uncontrollable. What strange-sounding film this is. It's got Faye Dunaway in it. And uh, you've noted about the uh, poster, so I went and found the poster. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and as I've noted here for the first poster, what did you say? The, the, the era of film posters are faced at uh, various it's just, angles. It's just, I remembered it. I remembered the, I remembered the cover because I remember just faces. And I remember, and it put me on this thought process of there's loads of 80s movie posters that are just yeah. faces, shadowed faces. There's loads of them. Yeah. Oh. But, but the typo- typographer had one job, to put the names yeah. next to the faces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, He's not labelled it so good. <laughs> it's like, oh, you had one job. Um, yeah. Alternatively, you could have had the other poster, um, yeah. <laughs> which is a great looks, crap fair almost. That's weird. It's a crap fair, and it also looks, it looks a bit like a, a cover for a... Um, more of a horror movie. I'm getting kind of phantasm vibes off that. It's really but, weird, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's not good. There's just close, a very small Klaus Maria Brandauer underneath a, a kind of large Faye Dunaway, and they've been stroked around the edge. Yeah. They've been cut out badly, and then to hide the fact they've cut them out badly, they've given them a five-pixel stroke <laughs> around the edge, which is, don't ever do that. You know, With some kind of, unless you're going for that effect, but not like that. But they're in front of some kind of weird stained glass background, oh, almost. I don't or... think anyone thought that through. It looks hand drawn. It's got mountains in the background, but they're not <laughs> mountains that you can see through the window. So that window exists <laughs> on its own. It's, nothing, it's weird. It's just it's an inverted window. It's stupid. Yeah, the window Very is the stupid. wall. Yeah, not good. Uh, anyway, you could have seen that if you'd wanted it. Twenty first of April, you could have gone seen Hanuzen, uh, yeah. the second in the Klaus Maria Brandauer double bill. Yeah, not going to. I'm not going to have seen that. No, no, I'm not either. Um, I'm not going to see much of the last couple. Actually, twenty eighth of April, just to round things off, you could have gone seen Joy Riders, um, which was about uh, an Irish mum who ditches her children at a lost and found uh, place yeah. and then goes on a joyride with a car thief around Ireland. Correct. If you'd want to see that. Alternatively, you could have gone seen Betrayed, which is uh, Tom Berenger, Deborah Winger. Yeah. yeah. Written by Joe Esterhouse. Of course it is. What does that mean, Graham? What does that it means mean? It's sleazy and demure. <laughs> demure. <laughs> and someone's having sex up against a wall in a dark alleyway. Exactly what it means. It means that at some point in somewhere in that film, someone's getting banged up against the wall down an alley or in a kitchen or either way, she's alarmingly high, which it just, which, the physics are all wrong. For it? The yeah, exactly. The exactly. Showing that the physics is all wrong as well. If she's that high, he is either stronger than he looks in in the man in the, in the man flesh department. I'm not sure what's going on. So. <laughs> the man flesh department. Just to yeah. say what the plot is: it's an FBI agent posing as a combine driver becomes romantically involved with a Midwest farmer who lives a double life as a white supremacist. Do you know, I wonder if there's a version of this where this where the Wurzels are in it. <laughs> Sounds like the sort of thing they'd write songs about. <laughs> I've got a brand new combine harvester and I wear a white hood. Why? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, not very good. I didn't, uh, these films became ten a penny. You know, this, you could substitute the two actors in this for a million other films of loads of them. There's one, I think William Hurt's in one with Kathleen Turner, looks exactly like that. There's loads yeah, of them. Yeah, there's loads. There's also, there's directed by Costa Gavras. And oh. uh, Costa Gavras and Joe Esterhouse would also make the music box uh-huh. this year. Which I don't know what that is, though. Someone having sex in an alleyway on top of a music box. <laughs> which 
<laughs> while it spins round. Maybe not that music, but I can imagine it. You know. <laughs> so, so, in my head it is, and I find that saucy. <laughs> very, <Fair> very <enough>. saucy. <laughs> And on that saucy <laughs> note, that's your films and TV <laughs> for April 1989. <laughs> Class Maria Brando, it not appear. You know, you wait, you wait all, what's it, 122 podcasts to, to turn <laughs> up, and then two come along at once. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're going to take a quick break on that note. Uh, and we'll come back. We've still got four games to get through. Four games. Ooh, there is four. a crap vert. There are charts. Ooh, wow. There's loads of stuff still to come, so please do keep on listening. All right, we're back. Let's get into our games, Graham. It's over to you for our first one. Well, here it is. It's the C64 version of a film that we both liked. So hopefully we both like the game. This is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Ooh. Ba-doom, ba-doom, doom. Beep, beep, beep. Ba-doom. <laughs> I hate the music for this stupid game. So the publisher was uh, Buena Vista Software. Obviously Buena Vista Software. It's a Disney thing. It's a Disney, something to do with Disney. So it's Buena Vista Buena Vista. Vista. The developer was Amblin Entertainment. It's something to do with Spielberg as well. Spielbergo. Senor Spielbergo's involved. <laughs> this is his non-union affiliated Mexican <laughs> counterpart, I think. It was created by Reichhardt von Wolfshield, which has got to be one of the greatest game design names of all time, surely. It must be. I always thought that wasn't that the guy that was trapped inside the spaceship in the black hole. Anyway, oh, that's Hans Reinhardt, sorry. This is coded by James J. Host. Graphics are by Eric Daniels. The title screen, James D. Sachs. And the musician is Jim Andron. That's the cast of people that brought you this. Um, this is a downport from the 16-bit, or at least this is an 8-bit version of the same game that was released on the 16-bit with a pretty heavy price tag too, isn't it? At $14.99. 28% though. Ooh, Ooh. something stinks. Um, obviously, it's based around the, the Who Framed Roger and Rabbit movie. We've spoken about the Who Framed Roger Rabbit movie. You can go back and discover which episode that is. I, I didn't Google that or look it up, but you can do that. Um, but we did talk about that. And, you know, essentially it's a it was a film that was very famous for blending cartoon animated characters of the Disney kind and the uh, Warner Brothers kind. So Bugs Bunny, mm. Daffy Duck, Donald Sorry, Duck, What did you Mickey actually Mouse. look up? I didn't. Um, but either way, um, it's it's it was famous for it being a blend of real, real live actors. Bob Hoskins famously played the, the character called Eddie Valiant. And he was investigating um, a crime. And the crime was that they thought that Roger Rabbit, a famous cartoon rabbit, had killed a business Lothario called Marvin Acme in order to uh, try and steal his, I guess, his stuff. Um, And the evil judge that's in town, or the Judge Doom, has got sights on Toontown, which is where all the Toons live. And he's also taken over the railroad. And it's a kind of convoluted story, actually, but the long shot of his cartoons doing funny shit and that. So it was what it was, you know, it was quite famous for doing, and it's very clever, technical, special effects, extravaganza, amazing. You think yeah. game with that, game with all of that? Wow, must be amazing, must be incredible. Oh, it's oh, so we get so it's a movie tie-in. This is a movie tie-in which is boiled down to a series of three mini games connected by a thematic link to an animated rabbit. Okay, when you boil it down to that, it starts to starts to you know lose its lose its uh, function a little. Allure. There's three parts to this. There's part one, which is, uh, I mean, I'll, you know, obviously you start the game and I'll talk about that a little bit, but there's essentially three parts of this. Benny the Cab, 
or 3.5 really. Benny the Cab, the Ink and Paint Club and the Gag Factory. So, okay. The aim of the game is to find Marvin Acme's will before the evil Judge Doom does and also do this before Toontown is washed away with Dip. Dip is a substance mixture of turpentine and something else, which Judge Doom invents, which is the only thing you can use to erase cartoons. In the context of Roger Rabbit, he kills a shoe. A poor shoe, he kills a shoe. And because we see the shoe scream to death in the bloody murder, it's a horrible scene. And we know that Dip is bad, all right? Dip is very bad. Uh-huh. So um, as in the film, Roger is suspected or framed of uh, up to the point where you don't see this, but it's obviously occurs before the game starts. He's suspected or framed of murdering longtime gag producer and toon friend, or friend of the toons, and I don't mean that he likes Newcastle United, uh, Marvin Acme. By dropping a safe on his head, just like a tune. <laughs> just like a tune, to drop a safe on someone's head. So essentially, you're on the, you are on the run in this game. Unlike the film, however, you play as Roger Rabbit, not Eddie Valiant. Um, and in a series of games or challenges, or whatever you might call them, with the intention of racing across Los Angeles, shown with locations on a map, finding the missing... Will written by Marvin Acme in Invisible Ink and thus preventing ownership of Toontown from falling into the hands of Judge Doom and ultimately being dipped, of course, as I've said. Obviously, you need to avoid getting caught by the judge in any of his gang while you do this and you have essentially one hour because after one hour goes by, if you haven't found it, the will and everything else is null and void and the judge gets Toontown, gets the rights to Toontown and it gets dipped good and proper. Lots of screaming shoes. Well, we don't want that. Um... (laughs) So it's a pretty smart loading screen for this and title screen. Very of the film and it's the way that it's presented. That'll greet you as well as some kind of, I think, pedestrian music. I don't think much attention was paid to the music for this. It's the same as the Amiga no. music. And when I say the same as the Amiga music, essentially the same as the Amiga. And this, in fact, is indeed essentially the same as the Amiga version. Now, obviously, much lower res. Lower your res expectations. <laughs> no, definitely here. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. That low? No, lower. And the colour expectations. We've gone from, you know, found in 12 colours to a cosy palette of eight, maybe four, maybe 16. Who knows? If you look. Anyway, here, here you will get told your story from Baby Herman. So there's some, and some of those parts are quite nice. And you start the game with the parts all loading individually and pretty slowly as it goes. Um, lives in this game are res- represented by barrels of dip. You start with five empty barrels at the, ta- at the start. And as you work through the game, if you hit anything as Benny or get thrown out of the Ink and Paint Club, or if the weasels use a gag on you in the factory, you will gain a barrel. Get to five barrels and it's game over. Okay. Indications of the amount of barrels you have are dotted through the game. Um, and in mini sections, so you'll sort of get an idea of where you're at in your barrel count, as it were. So let's talk about the first part then, because once you've got through the initial sort of um, you know, Herman telling you what's going on and you know the plot and everything else, you're going to get the first game, which is part one, Benny the Cab. Here, you must drive Benny the Cab, who is a character from the film, and get ahead of the judge to arrive at the Ink and Paint Club first. The game sees you as Roger sat in Benny the Cab, controlling things with the joystick. The game window here is split into a main section where you control Benny and a small indicator at the bottom that shows your position against that of the judge. Principally, this is a race from A to B with obstacles in the way. Um, Weasels in their toon patrol wagons, heavy vehicles, etc. and things like that get in your way or drive at you and you can either hop lanes to avoid them or jump over them or on them even with a powerful spring. And the spring is very powerful in this car. Another mighty bound indeed. A very um, mighty Something bound. which she doesn't ever do in the film. Just going to say, it never happens. He does raise his sort of legs up in the film and stuff like that, but he doesn't suddenly leap across a, the height of a building. That would be a bit off. Um, there, are also pu- there are also pools of dip that will pop Benny's tyres if he drives through them. And if it does do that, um, it costs you time and your position in 
the race, of course, against Doctor Doom. And of course, if he reaches the ink and paint club before you do, then it's game over. Or at least it's barrel, an extra barrel, and then you have to talk, keep, keep at it. Mm-hmm. Um, a perfunctory scrolling vista of white buildings are meant to be 1940s Los Angeles. And that scrolls across the background as you race, maneuver, and shuffle to get to the end first. It's not very inspiring, I have to say. And the graphics look bitty and actually pretty badly drawn. Remember, this is from Disney. So you would have thought decent sprites at least would have been here or background graphics. It's not very exciting to say the least. And so when you do get to the end and you will eventually get there, you'll get to the next section, which is the Ink and Paint Club. This is a pretty frustrating mini game that sees a series of tables arranged in sort of a restaurant speakeasy, a bit like the Ink and Paint Club in the the actual film. And here you control Roger as he runs round seven tables. The Penguin waiters will drop off receipts on the tables in sets of three and a single shot of whiskey or alcohol or whatever it is. And since you don't know which one is the will, or which one of these has got these written on, you've got to collect them all. So that's the plan is just collect all the receipts no matter what. So there isn't one specific that you can find. You've just got to collect them all and keep going until you get them all. Um, obviously. So this sees that you mean this means that you've got to run around and collect them all to complete the game. That's the that's the purpose of this part. To do this, you will find you have to use the joystick to try and move from table to table, holding the fire button to pick up the receipts as you uh. whirl around and avoiding the single alcoholic drink, which makes Roger go crazy. Just like in the movie. Something to note, though, that only happens a couple of times in the film, which keeps it kind of fresh and funny when it happens. You know, it happens once to show that he can do it. And it happens later in a key point when he has to escape from the clutches yeah, of George it's, Doom. It's, it's Chekhov's gun. It's Chekhov's drink. Yes, yes, exactly. So when you repeatedly does this at this point, because you will you will accidentally drink that, and it stops him in his tracks. His eye goes sort of pixelated, and he, you know, emits this, you know, the famous Roger Rabbit, you know, yeah. which is fun, funny the first time you see it. Not so much the fifth or sixth. Though, it just stops the action of the game in its tracks. It's so, funny if really you can really make out what it is. Yeah, again, it sort of comes to sort of a, a, a more of a core problem. But yeah, yeah, exactly that. Um, so it just keeps disrupting the game because you will keep catching it. And there's no way around that really because of the way that the game is sort of just a big runaround. And it does become very annoying. Roger doesn't really have controls as such here. You directionally suggest him that so he goes from table to table. And he runs around and around and around that table, allowing you to collect the receipts. Along the bottom, the giant gorilla doorman security patrols there. And should you cross his path, he will grab you and throw you out of the club. And you've gained a barrel, damn you. Mm. Um, so you need to navigate and collect them all up best you can. And the problem here is that, A, as you rightly point out, um, the graphics are a bit nondescript at times. And certainly this just feels like it goes on forever. It feels like it never ends. Mm-hmm. The more you collect, the more the penguins put out. You think, is there ever going to be a point when I'm going to collect all these? And I was playing this for ages and ages, and I can tell you, I did. I just didn't collect them. And you've got till the band stops playing the music and then it ends anyway. So I'm not sure that it's even achievable because I, I, they didn't seem to stop putting out the receipts. So anyway, no. that's just me. The graphics aren't terrible, terrible for this bit in, in the sense that the background graphics actually look a bit like the Amiga version. That's not that bad. The way the band is in the corner, the table layout, that's fine. Roger, okay, he looks a bit like Roger Rabbit, more like he did in the first, than he did in sort of the first bits, so to speak, but he's still not particularly brilliant. They're not terrible. There's a cartoonish quality to the way that they animate and move around, um, and that looks okay. It's a close facsimile, facsimile albeit medium res to that, well, a res, to the Amiga version, and it plays the same, but that's a problem, isn't it? Because it's pretty boring. The whole screen and the whole is used, so the, all the tables area and the play area, and there's no UI in this bit, um, which would have been useful, actually, because the one bit that you need is to know how many receipts you've got left to collect. That would have been handy to know, because that, you know, it doesn't, you don't, you don't have to be a guessing game, does it? So it just feels like it goes on and on and on and on. Collect too many alcohol shots, and you'll run out of luck, get grabbed by the gorilla, and you get thrown out of the club, and eventually you're going to run out of, or get too many barrels, and the game's over anyway, and it's back to the beginning level again, so back to where the cab you go. If you die, you die. You've got no pre-indication of any of that either, by the way. So um, I found that when I was reading 
um, reading into this a bit, a lot of people seem to get stuck at that level. Um, not many people made it to the third level. And perhaps by the time they did, maybe they didn't want to, let me tell you. Yeah. So part three is the gag factory. Here we have a more formal, substitute the word formal for dreary, platform style game. This time you control Roger and must navigate the Acme factory levels, climbing, falling via the conveyors, using holes and other tricks and gags, and also picking up some of the classic Acme gags dotted about which you can then use or misuse to cause the weasels you come across to laugh themselves to death and to get around the factory. The factory is set across three levels, levels split across a number of flip screens with some requiring gags to navigate successfully. So you use the joystick to move left and right, fire jumps unless you're holding a gag, which it then activates. Up and down is also pick up and drop, um, and you can use the fire to jump up the conveyor belts. Um, these do vary from, the various gags, by the way, do vary from the boxomatic mallet to the portable hole, they are all described in the instructions as well. And there's quite a lot of them. And you're meant to be able to identify them in the game and know what they do and what they're for. And I can tell you, you won't and you can't. But either way. <laughs> anyway, each of these, believe it or not, has a specific effect, which, you, which you're supposed to understand. And each of them can be used to either get laughs out of the weasels or they will backfire on you and then you will gain a barrel. You won't know when or how this happens and you won't know how to use them in what context. Some of them, believe it or not, you have to use to create paths between the levels. Otherwise, you can't finish this level. That isn't explained anywhere. And indeed, <sighs> to actually get to the final boss, which is the judge, you have to use two specific holes in two specific areas. Otherwise, you can't complete the game anyway. That isn't explained anywhere in any of the instructions at all. You also want a time limit. At the bottom of the display, you will see Jessica Rabbit tied up on the far right of the screen with the judge's dip cannon and the judge slowly trundling towards her very menacingly, a bit like it sort of does in the film. Should the dip reach Jessica before you have disposed of all the weasels, it's game over. You won't believe it, you can't believe it, and you shan't believe it. But if you do manage to get rid of the weasels, you will then need to figure out how to get the drop on the judge and give him a taste of his own dip and win the game. Failure sees you lose and have to restart things. You won't realize that's what you have to do. Trust me. So the graphics here are very messy. Roger Sprite is not as good as the Ink and Paint Club, and that ain't saying a lot. Indeed, the game feels less established and realized. It has a cartoon-like quality, but nothing is funny, and the control seems somewhat bitty. It feels underdeveloped with limited animations and background graphics, and it looks, and looks pretty basic for a Disney game, I have to say. Not a lot of stuff is happening in this. In this, Graphics are all medium res yellows and browns with a UI that shows you your current gag that you're holding, not that you'll easily identify it. The mallet you might recognize, but some of the others you won't know what they are. It's not easy to see what they are or really what they're supposed to do or have an indication of whether they've succeeded or not. They can backfire as well. And when they do, you won't have any idea apart from that, apart from suddenly you'll, you'll find you've gained a barrel and you won't understand why and you go back to the beginning of that level again until you die. Um, it's an endless thing as well. The Ink and Paint, like the Ink and Paint Club, this level goes on and on and on and on and on because there's very little in it. Um, the weasels that are in it appear sporadically through the level here and there. The judge isn't even in it till the very bottom anyway. It's pretty empty as it goes and it's just wandering around a factory. Not very exciting, is it? Nope. So... Among the games, between the games, there's some nice graphics. Baby Herman has some nice drawn screens, as you'd expect, because they're taken from the Amiga screens. So the still screens, where they're versions of the Amiga ones, they look pretty good. And some of the screens with Roger as well, they look pretty good. Like when you lose or anything like that, it all looks nice. Even with the loading extra, um, there's some little details that work sort of here and there too. Getting thrown out of the Ink and Paint Club, there's a little animated scene there. That looks quite nice as well, straight out of the Amiga again. But on the whole, there are three mini games here and only one of them is borderline fun. And I say that, and that using that term very loosely, borderline. It's like, eh. The first and the third 
is a dreary car chase race and the last is a dull wander around a factory. Though I suspect it was beyond the possibilities of licensing, having other cartoon characters, or even just even or even maybe just the Roger Rabbit ones. So it doesn't, you know, just the ones from Roger Rabbit, Eddie Valiant, the Weasels have more of that in it. So I have more of that in here. It might have been great, but it's probably beyond the scope of the license. Okay, fine. But I feel sure there were more ways to create fun with the characters and story and possibilities for minigames than this. This game astonishingly shows a lack of imagination in a film driven by the notion of imagination. It beggars belief. Beggars belief. This film is centered, the film is centered around Eddie Valiant, losing his notion of fun through personal loss and despair with Roger's escapade and, and his uh, becoming and the other escapade becoming a chance for Eddie Valiant to redeem himself, come to terms with his loss, and find his own sense of fun and purpose along the way. And then he remembers who he was all along. So to take all of that out and make it a chase, running in circles and walking around an empty factory, well, to paraphrase Roger himself, come on, where's the sense of humour? <laughs> I found this game a shocking indictment of boredom on a license that is hardly described as boring. It seems, it's crazy. I don't know how you do it. How do you take Roger Rabbit and make it boring as a game. I don't know how you do it. It's a skill. It's a skill. What did you think? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. That was my first thing. Uh, oh, first things first. Uh, why is this disc only? Why is this a multi-load? I mean, be, you think about some of the games we've seen where they cram into 64K. Yeah. And it's like, why is this a multi-load? There's none of those none of those bits seem like, oh yeah, I can see why. Like one of them, like the second game, it's just one bloody screen. Yep. Yep. Oh, one of the most fun and original films of the 80s is reduced to this multi-event boreathon, slowly driving along, then trying to pick up napkins with ugly visuals and horrible sound effects, and none of the wit, charm, and originality of the film has been brought over to this. Zilch. The driving section is flawed by the stupid bounce that sees you hit cars or go into paint with no control over it, though half the time you'd jump over something and then you'd hit a car coming along again, or you'd have to jump yep. over the paint. Oh, yeah. You couldn't yeah, yeah. Do so No logic. So it's just... It's that crap random hour, you know, random number generator. Generate a car here with no thought. Yep. Well, well, we generate paint, and there's a car there. There's no way for the player to avoid these rubbish, uh, and and start, you know, topping off is boring. The second sequence, I found it really unresponsive. Trying to go around the tables, you know, trying to pick up stuff. Sometimes it responds, sometimes it wouldn't. I also found it really annoying. And like I said, that bit when you actually do the drink and he get, you know, does his big thing and turns into the steam whistle. It took me about four times that I did that, where I was like. Oh, is that the steam whistle? He's just turned into a big <laughs> orange, yellow blur. Oh, God, no. Yeah, ain't good. Um, I don't know what they were thinking when they did this, but at some point, someone should have pointed out to them that this is so far removed from the film that it's lost all relevance. Um, that I looked at some of the screenshots for the third bit. What is that red bit in the bottom right-hand corner? That's supposed to be Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, that's right, yeah. It's supposed to be Jessica Rabbit up on a wall. It's just some red pixels. Like, there's a point. <laughs> there's a point when you've just got to go, hang on. We can't do what the Amiga version's doing and the ST version's doing because they can represent, they've got a much higher resolution. We can actually see, if you look at the Amiga version, yeah, it looks like Jessica Rabbit. Small at the bottom, fine. We can yeah, do yeah. that. Just get rid of that. Take it off the screen. You know, show it at the beginning of something. Think, right, how do we transfer this to a C64 and show it? Well, show the weasels coming to it and have a countdown, you know, or something like that somewhere on the screen. You don't need to see the things at the bottom moving, give you more screen. To, to do some more interesting stuff with the thing. It's just rubbish. It's just dreadful, this. It's 15 quid. It's disc only for no reason, apart from it's coming no. from America, obviously, and they don't believe in tapes. Um, no, no, that's true. That's you know, that's why. 
and so that's I get I get it sort of thing. But this there's no reason why this it's a multi-load because that's what they do in, in disc based games in America. I, I understand. But this could have been on tape and it shouldn't have been that. It, there's not enough content here for three bloody loads. Yeah, some of those static screens are all right, because they're just C sixty twelve versions of the Amiga version. And the, we've seen but we've seen better versions of them with things like Defender of the Crown, you know, yes, anything by yeah. Cinemaware. They've managed to outdo three stooges here. In taking yeah, something have. that's a comedy and, and removing the comedy from it, <laughs> you know, I thought this was—I thought the Monsters was going to be the worst licensed game we yeah. played this week, yeah. based on a comedy type thing. I was wrong. I was very wrong because we got <laughs> Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, you know, please, Eddie, don't make this game. Just don't. It's just dreadful. Yeah, not good. You know, uh, my my comment here is Who Ruined Roger Rabbit would have been a better title. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow. Oh. Dread or rubbish, just rubbish. Twenty eight percent was shocking, really, isn't it? Because there's no game. There's no. There's no game to this. There's nothing to do that's in any way enjoyable. No, <sighs> rubbish. Let's move. They on. did a bad, bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, they fired dum dums. <laughs> uh, let's go on. Let's move along. Let's get out. I can't talk about it anymore. It's rubbish. Let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> And on to our next one. And our next one is nice and simple. It's mini golf. Mini yeah, golf. Bit of mold. Ten pounds. Got fifty-seven percent. We're in. We're in average town, <laughs> which is good actually. I might be in average town after the crap town we've been in. <laughs> this is our second miniature golf game, if I remember right correctly. Then we had that mini put. Mini put from did, Accolade. Yes, mini, yeah, we did. It was pretty good. As I yeah. Remember. This time, this time it's Gremlin Graphics. Ooh. Have brought us this game from the publisher Magic Bites. And the coder was Frank Winkenmeyer. Winkenmeyer. Oh, oh, him. Frank Winkenmeyer. Yeah, and it's got music yeah. by George Brandt. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> after the game loads, it's got a nice title screen with what looks like someone playing the most complex hole in mini golf history. <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> you look, I was looking at it going, you can't do that in the hole. There's no way. There's no way you could calculate how, where to hit that to get a hole in Ron. What it does have, though, on that loader, um, is a really, really great piece of music. Oh, you really liked the music for this one, didn't you? I, I thought it was fantastic. It's, it, you know, it doesn't sound like a C64 tune. It's a different, there's a weird sound to it. There's a weird quality to it. I don't know what it is about it, but it's. I thought it was great. Really fast, really great drum samples or sounds. Just great. I, re- I was sat listening to this for ages. I was like, this is really good. I think it might have just been the fact that I'd been brainwashed by the Monsters theme tune um, <laughs> and things like that. But I thought the, the loading tune to this was... Re- I even went and off to... I thought, is this the right one? But then I went off and, and sort of hunted it down on Sid Play and HVCSC, whatever it's called, and had a listen mm-hmm. and found it there. And I was like, oh, it's the same one. Yeah, this is really good. If you get a bit of time, have a listen to the uh, loading music to this because it's really, really good. Anyway, after that, once that's loaded, we get a, <laughs> we get a really simple title screen. <laughs> It's just a scorecard for the round of golf. Like, okay, it's a bit simple. And a prompt for how many players. Nice and basic. It's very nice and basic, yeah. But you get a prompt for how many players. So you can play one to four. You can have up to four players for this. You press the number key to select and then space to start. And that's it. We're into the game. Nice and simple. So, yeah, it's a mini golf game. This also came out on the Amiga um, and other machines. They had some smart visuals and different courses with different viewpoints and all kinds of crazy stuff on top. Here on the C64, we just get one set of holes and a basic top-down Single screen view of the action. That's what we get. So we get 18 holes. At the top of the screen, um, we have the hole number, the par for the hole, and the number of shots taken so far. All you need for a mini golf game. That's all you really need. The rest of the screen shows the hole, and it all fits on one screen, as I said, for all 18 of them. 
the graphics, like I said, are from the top down. There are things like bushes and bumps and hills and tubes represented by fairly basic shading, but they do the job. You can kind of make out what they are. The sort of ups and downs and the you know, there's a bit of shading for shadowing and stuff. So you can get you, you kind of see, oh, that's a that, that, you know, that's a hill and that goes down and that, you know, you can make it out. You the hole so is a grey hole that'll be somewhere on the screen and somewhere else on the screen there's a white rectangle and you start by placing your ball somewhere anywhere within that white rectangle so it's like you know start from one point you've got a small white rectangle place your ball in that and that's the starting area once mm-hmm. you press you put your ball in there pressing the fire places the ball and then you move your joystick to aim so you aim with a little crosshair that you move about and as you do you'll see a line stretching from your ball to your crosshair which you're moving about the longer the line the more power you'll hit the ball with it's that simple so you can't just aim at a wall if the wall's quite close to you because it'll hit it quite softly so you have to kind of carry on the shot you know going way out if you want to hit it quite powerfully so the longer the line so it's just so simple the longer the line the harder you'll hit it that's it so once you're happy with the direction and power you press fire and the ball is hit the ball is animated as it rolls around and i thought the physics were generally pretty good as the ball bounces off walls at the angles you'd expect goes up and down hills, sort of loses speed, drops back down, goes in curves. It all kind of works. Um, didn't have any real problem or, you know, with the actual physics in this and the way that it bounces around and moves around and whatever. Should you do well and score a hole in one, you'll get a small tune, a weird little tune um, that's the only other bit of sound in this apart from some... As it hits walls yeah, yeah. and stuff. There's not much sound to this. After that great loading yeah. screen tune, I was expecting something decent, but it's like... <laughs> when you score a cold one, it's like, what was that? Oh, that bloody fanfare. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay. Uh, but whatever. Uh, should you take too many shots, the game just automatically gets fed up and moves you on to the next hole. <laughs> I did like that. It's like, oh, you, you're rubbish. Just go do the next one. To save, you know, and that kind of saves growing frustration. If you just cannot get it up a hill or something, you, you know, it's like, I can't. And he just moves you on. You're done. And and really, you know, there's 18 holes of varying difficulty. There's tubes, there's hills. You knock it down. But you know, there's no scrolling in this. It's all on one screen. So it's kind of what is what it is. You know, it's just a C64 screen of pixels with various mo- you know, various layouts of mini golf holes. And that's really about it. You just go through the holes, one after the other, one to 18. When you finish, you get to your total shots. And if you're playing in multiplayer, you see everyone's total shots, and that's about it. And then you can start again. And, I mean, there's there's really very little to say about this. It plays fine. But I imagine once you've figured out the sweet spot of aiming and power, I imagine this you could ace this pretty easily because, you know, the physics will be the physics. If you know where to put your power, you know where to put your aim, you could get holding one all the time, I'd imagine. I could imagine it might be a bit of fun with a few mates on a rainy afternoon. But I found that the lack of atmosphere lets it down somewhat. There's no, it's just really a bit dry and dull and a bit, bit, could it needed something, needed sound effects or some, something around a woo, or applause and things and something. those kind of things, <laughs> something. So I know it's mini golf and not crazy golf. I get there's a difference, obviously, but it doesn't mean we can't have something else to keep us entertained. Even if the sound effects were a little more consistent, like I said, some music playing, anything really. As it is, it's it's well programmed. It's well put together. It all works. You know, if you want to simulate mini golf, I'm sure it'll entertain you. But I don't think you'd be coming back to this too often. I think the skill limit is just a little too low on this one. You'd learn it quite quickly and just move on. Mm. Nine ninety nine seems a bit much for this. If this was a budget title and this has got budget mini golf written all over it, I'd think this would be. They'd have been like, yeah, this is pretty good. You know, two quid for this. Yeah, it's fine. Tenner though, up against accolades mini putt. Nah. 
can't can't see it myself. It's not terrible, but it's not ten pound good. It's two pound decent, um, and that's what I think of you, Harvey. What do you think? <laughs> right, exactly the same. Exactly the same. Very expensive game given what you get with it and how simple it is. I mean, it's simple and effective. I like the way you set out the angle and the power. You know, snooker games take note, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Graphics, obviously, on the basic side, but it's fast to get into. There's a kind of a sense of achievement, albeit that that you know, little fan favor will drive you crazy in the end when you pull off some of the more fluky you know shots that you do. Um, I'm just not sure how much real skill there is in it, but for a few plays, it might be fun, but it's not a budget cost and that's it's you know killer blow this is a budget game written all over this is budget this is 199 all over it had it been that might have scored better but for me 10 quid for this no thanks i'll play leaderboard i'll play proper golf thanks no and but in fact leaderboard's budget by now isn't it we said so yeah gremlin we're having a bit of a taking the piss a bit with this 10 quid yeah nah. 10 quid's a ripoff for this it's not no 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 but it only no. budget it label no i mean i'll tell you what i did like which is odd the transition between holes effect was quite interesting. Oh, the way it sort of sort of pixelates out and pixelates yeah, back yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not often you yeah. see that. That's the that's, that's, that's you know, I haven't seen that outside of demos, and that and that's fairly recent ones. So interesting that they did that. But other than that, yeah, nice. I, I, those, me, yeah. I did like this game. You know, it's likable, just too expensive. Too expensive yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, like I said, there's nothing. Expensive. There's no, absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's fine. It's quick and it's easy and it, no slowdown yeah. and it bounces around just, and stuff. But it's a it's a budget game. It's a bloody rip off. <laughs> there you go, mini golf. Should have been two quid. Let's move on because we do have a budget game coming up. And that, Graham, is over to you to tell us all about Orion. So Orion is from Racket or Houston, as we like to call them. Budget Houston, Buson. Um, it's two ninety nine. Uh, it was forty six percent though in the old zap. Uh, it was developed by Graph Gold, or at least it's Graph Gold people. Coded by Gary J. Foreman, the graphics by John Cumming, and the musician is Jason Page. Now, Jason Page is a very talented fellow. This is the first piece he ever did, age 16, um, and he's still making music to this day, and that includes C64 compositions, some of which are genuinely brilliant. If you check him out on Sidplay, you'll note that some of his compositions are from 2023. He's even done worked with Rob Hubbard and done loads of recent compositions for him as well, or worked with him. Very, very clever guy. So Jason Page, I salute ye. The music here is also very, very good. And considering you were 16 when you made it, my hat has been doffed. Very nice job. Mm-hmm. Um, so to the story then, and I can't remember if I had to derive this from, I couldn't find a lot of info about Orion. So no. I've gathered what I can from the various usual sources, the Moby games and things like that. The stars in the constellation of Orion are unstable and the formation is distorting, distorting. To save it is to redress the chemical balance. You need to visit mining colonies and take the chemicals required. Um, now, I suspect you need a lot of chemicals for that, but okay. <laughs> Problem is, the mines needed are under control by evil aliens. Aren't they always? The first thing the evil aliens do is take over your mines. Um, so it's by no means going to be easy. In fact, you're going to need to take these things by force. You take control of the hero as he walks across the mining colonies viewed from the side. The joystick moves your Play it while the fire button fires your weapon. Also seen on screen is your score, shield and life. I get the feeling at that point that the person who wrote that for Moby Games was just looking at the screen when he was reading it. <laughs> yeah, it he went been. all a bit, uh, he went a bit Roy Walker there. Didn't that. <laughs> just, it was just, anyway, um, we haven't them in a while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the game starts with a nice sort of title screen, standard logo credits formation. <laughs> in there so you know so with token rolling raster bars and high scores a somewhat tricky read with that scale and that typeface but that's what it is it's kind of you know you know what you're gonna get rolling rasters behind the text yeah 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 um 
clicking fire sees you have to enter your ID or your initials, really, for the mission computer. Do that and you'll arrive on the planet selection screen. Here you can choose the planet from which you will start the quest for your chemicals. You can choose from Auriga, Regulus, Ara, and Deimos. I'm thinking that we've come across some of those names before. Yeah. Regulus in Star Trek, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and under that, you are given the chemicals you are required to collect. Initially, this is water, H2O. H2O. Um, once you have settled on a planet, you press fire to transport and... Ba, 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 you will arrive on the main game screen. You will. The top quarter is the UI, compro- composed of text detailing your initials, the chemical formula you are looking for. Under that is your shield health bar, and next to that, the radiation indication. Under that, your remaining men and score. It's a little bit bitty, though, that that UI. Yeah. It's less you and more I, I think it's safe to say on that. <laughs> or less I and more yeah. you, I'm not sure. Saying which I'm is- bitty. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, yes. No. The game window below takes up the rest of the screen. Um, since I started on Auriga, which is where I chose to start, I was presented with a somewhat Greek-Roman ruins-inspired landscape with large yeah. columns, pillars, and slabs in grey. Your player character looks a lot like a stormtrooper from Star Wars, and you will arrive front and centre. You will then use the joystick to walk left and right, looking for chemical elements and blasting the endless enemies that will attack you. Enemies will appear flying, or sometimes they will walk through doors that are mysteriously dotted around. They vary from characters. Uh, the same size as you, to smaller ones that um, kind of wave around and annoy you. It's principally a walk-and-shoot game or a walk-and-collect game, whichever you want to look at it. Anyway, you can jump up and essentially navigate your way left and right across the landscape. You can also crouch down and shoot and crouch if you want to, or useful, I guess, maybe. It's essentially like a ploddy Hawkeye, only without much of the brouhaha. Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Oh, dear. <laughs> Nobody wanted Hawkeye. Um, <laughs> Sounds like, uh, <laughs> sounds like you get some of you hanging around farms too much. Yeah, you, oh, you've got a severe case of pork eye. <laughs> Stop <laughs> going in those styes. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's, yeah, it's essentially that. Uh, as you walk and shoot, occasionally you will see a pod get dropped with a letter on it. You can shoot that or collect these because uh, that, that's the chemical that you're looking for, I think, or extra weapons. I think it's a bit vague at this point. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure what I was doing and I just started to not, I wasn't quite sure what chemicals I was collecting or if indeed I didn't collected any. I think you keep shooting and walking until you get the chemical you're looking for, upon which you take it back to the selection screen. But I've no idea if that's how it works. No idea. No that's how does. it played for me. I could find no decent instructions, so I went with what I could ascertain. If you lose a life, you are taken back to the selection screen and can choose another planet or go back to the same one. The graphics are different for each, so there's at least variety between them. Some are more brown, some are more slabby, some are different. They, you know, you're on different planets. Outside of all of that logic, I didn't see much else going on, I have to say. Jump between planets, look for chemicals, and shoot at things that shoot and kill you. And if you don't, and so you sort of shoot first and run away. Navigating the bumps, jumps, and falls of the planet, it's all a bit thankless, isn't it? And, and it's colourful, mm-hmm. I suppose, in some places, but otherwise it's not. And it's all a bit boring. There's some nice details. The music and sound is excellent, with really nice thuddy footsteps again. What is it with these thunderous <laughs> footsteps of these... Walking around, do, 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 do. It's going, but it, okay, it is what it is. And there's some nice filtered sounds in here as well. The look of the game is pretty good in places. Some levels look better than others, and the sprites are reasonable. And sometimes they look better on other levels than they do. And I think it's just the choice of colors. The first level, for example, I was kind of a grayish looking character in white and gray. 
on grayish white backgrounds. It kind of just didn't yep. look very good. The controls were okay. I suppose you could describe them as responsive and they do what you want them to do if you want to do it, which you probably won't after a while because it gets a bit mundane. But it's just a tad on the thoughtless side for the whole game, really. Everything's just a bit thoughtless and a bit dull and a bit rote and a bit, it just lacks excitement. And it's pretty challenging as it goes as well, because you're getting attacked all the time. And these people, you know, I tell you what, right? Those doors, I mean, there was so many aliens coming in and out of in and out of those doors. Goodness, it's like just, it's door world, isn't it? It's doors, you know. <laughs> you, know it reminded you, me of that. you want to be out, pick one and stay there. Well, it's that, you know, I don't, if you, you haven't seen them, um, Rick and Morty, have you, with real fake doors, but it's real fake doors that get all over again. Real fake doors. We can buy you real fake doors here. It's that. Um, it's just, and it's, I suppose it's, it's not a massive issue. You know, it's three quid, isn't it? So it, it, I suppose, could you say that there's value for money for three quid? I suppose that's its only saving grace is that at least you're not getting charged full price for this. But it's just not got much depth to it. The graphics and sounds, you know, the graphics are okay. The sound is pretty good and the music very good. And the controls are okay. It's just more walking, shooting and mindless plodding though. And we've done loads of that, loads of it in other games. Got, you know, there's other, but there's other budget games like this that are better. Zamzara is better than this. Um, yeah. And that's a sort of a similar kind of game and a similar budget price. In fact, it's sank it's cheaper. So, and it's also, isn't that racket as well? <laughs> uh, quite <laughs> they're, possibly, yeah. They're fighting each other. <laughs> <laughs> The games have taken present root in the past. It is done. Um, facing each other. Um, I'm, I, be, I am, mix, I am mixing my films there. That's that's a mixture of bloody all sorts. That's Conan and, and Arthur mixing uh, together. And there can be only one. <laughs> God, and Highlander. God, there's too many, too much. Um, we'll be throwing Zardoz into the mix. In a minute. <laughs> too, too many swords in the broth. If you come running in in a minute in a mankini shouting uh, shouting in a Sean Connery <laughs> accent, all going to go horribly wrong, in it? It's not a perfect game, this. It's better than Zap made it out to be, though. I'm going to say this because I think it needs to be said. Um, they gave it a 46%. Now, I think, I'm not saying this game is amazing because it's not. And it does have its faults, but it is only budget price at £3. And for £3, there's probably enough game in there, albeit it might be a bit boring, with some good music and some good graphics to warrant a bit of a higher score than 46. I think it's above average. I would have put it more in the 60s. It's nowhere near perfect, but it's Zap scores seem to be really kicking the games that are crap um, and sort of, sorry, kicking the games that are good in the in the balls and, and giving them really odd scores that don't quite work. Or the games that are really not, don't deserve the scores, they seem to be getting higher scores. It all seems a little bit over mishmash, and I don't get it. I just I don't think it's a fair score for this game, considering its price. When there's been other games that have been far more expensive that are you know they've been getting sort of a, an easy ride of it. Um, so no, it, it, for three pe- <laughs> three quid, three quid you might have enjoyed it, but it's worth probably going and playing because you want to listen to the Jason Page music, which is really good. So other than that, eh? What about Poor you? Kai. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor <laughs> guy. I don't want to play poor guy. No one does. What a make of this. It's some kind of bi-directional running scroller where you have to collect things. Uh, you, won't, you won't want to, though. I think you like this more than I did, but I don't even know if I... Because I found the controls and shooting really annoying. Um, I found trying to navigate the landscape was tricky. On the first planet, Ariga, I walked to the right, was instantly killed. No, that'll happen. Yeah, it shouldn't do. <laughs> it no, shouldn't. No, no, you've no, you've no, put shouldn't. me facing to the right, so I'm going to walk to the right. That's the way you yeah, do it. And it's never a good way to start your game. I've actually got to jump up or there's some killer, I don't know, what like waves or something. How was I supposed <laughs> to know? It's just, uh, the visuals are, are odd. I found the, the sprites really weird. Strange mix of colours. There's no seam over, like you said, look like a stormtrooper, but there's no kind of over arcing design to the whole thing. Why am I going around ancient Greek 
pillars and stuff. It's very odd. Yeah, the mm. sound and music are okay. I didn't like them, I think, as much as you did, but they're all right. Um, three quid. It's not a great game. I think I just get... I mean, I got bored of it pretty quickly. I think you would get but I don't know. There's mm. there's some nice presentation around the edges and some frippery and stuff like that, but I think this the main the main game, as you rightly said, is just wandering along and we've done this a lot, and it's just... I don't know. There's not enough payoff. There's no. not enough payoff to the, no, to the thing. I want... The, I need, if I'm collecting stuff, because essentially, if you think, I mean, we've done bi-directional scrolling, um, collecting stuff to do stuff in something, you know, a small game called Whizball. Yes, yes. True. Ages ago. True. You know, it's 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 that's the core crux of this, isn't it? Samzara meets Whizball, mm. should we say. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's and derivative. so, yeah. And it, I just could play Whizball, wouldn't you? I don't know. Yeah, you probably would, but yeah. Just, there seems to be a few of these, doesn't there, at the moment? It's, yeah. It's, it's, I can see what they're trying to do, and I get it, you know, not going to... And I suppose for three quid, they're not taking the piss. It's like, we know it's not brilliant, it's three quid, and yeah, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. It's just, I didn't, yeah. It, it didn't annoy me as things like the Monsters and stuff did with its terrible game sign, but there you go. There you go, that's Orion. Could have done with a belt. <laughs> like or it. something. Something in it. Yes, astronomy humour. Yeah. yeah. Very good, I like it. <laughs> I'm always there for astronomy humour. Very good, yes. You're, good. you're welcome, you're welcome. Brian May uh, approves. Who does? Brian, Brian May. May. I yeah. thought it meant Brian Cox. Yes. He'd approve as well. I, I don't know that he's into astronomy, but Brian May is a doctor of astronomy. I thought Brian Brian May, no, so Brian Cox is always doing his stuff about space and stars and shit. Is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Cox, the scientist oh. guy. Oh, the scientist guy, yeah. For some reason, <laughs> I was thinking you meant the guy that played Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter. He's also Brian Cox, I think. There's two of them. Oh, Am I thinking of the wrong one? Have, you can't have two cocks in, in the room. <laughs> not, not on a May as well. May I have two cocks in the room? No, you may not. Is, is it Dr. <laughs> Brian Cox? It probably is. I'm pretty sure it is. I don't know. He's the guy at a dream, yeah, is, isn't he? Yeah, they're both, yes. And uh, Brian Cox is the actor. Brian Cox is a physicist. There's also Go for a Brian Cox. 22 episodes, and then two Cox come along at the same time. <laughs> and he's also there's also an American coach called Brian Cox. Uh, Popular name. It is. Yes. <laughs> anyway, enough of those things. Let's move on to our last <laughs> game of the of the month. <laughs> Dear. And our last game of the month is Grand Prix Circuit Accolade, 9.95. It's got 79%. I might have uh, some things to say about that Jeez. score. I, I can tell I'm going to agree with you already. <laughs> okay, to round out the month, we take to the tracks of the 1980s Formula One courses in Grand Prix Circuit from Accolade. No story here, just straight out F1 racing thrills and spills. This was developed by Distinctive Software for Accolade, which means we have Don Matrick and Brad Gore on design, Frank Barchard and Kevin P. Pickle on code, John Berkler <laughs> on graphics, and finally Chris Haitlilid as the musician. Just so he's just he's the musician. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> just he's the musician. A <laughs> uh, bit of an interesting cover, this one. I like I thought I'd mention the cover of this. Reminded me of the um Zap leaderboard. Um Yes. Issue. Yes, actually, Sim- yes. Similar design. Because he's got a close-up of, a, a sort of an attractive Formula One. I'm not sure if she's a, one of the people, the girls on the Formula One track. It's an attractive girl, all big hair, very 80s, um, and she's wearing a pair of mirrored sunglasses. And in the reflection yeah, of totally. her sunglasses is the iconic Marlboro F1 car. I don't know if it's the McLaren or the Ferrari, because they're both in this game. Um, it's, I, th- I thought it's a really good cover. It's a really nice um you know unusual looking from the, some of the games we do see and things like that oh, um, completely 
Um, but it's also interesting just because it's obviously the Marlborough, you know, uh, thing, which is uh, way before advertising for cigarettes was banned in most places. So yeah, yeah it's weird to see that because that, it is an iconic car, that Marlborough car from the from the nineteen eighties. It's the one oh, I had for my yeah. it's the one I had for my scale electric. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just remember it. Anyway, game takes a while to load, um, but you know it's accolade. So again, it's got a loading bar. Always nice to see loading bars. So we're not not left guessing how long it's left. And once it does, there's a decent piece of music. It's all right. Um, weird piece of music, but it's okay. There's a nice animated accolade logo, so nice front end. And it's followed by a good drawing of an F1 car on a giant checkerboard for some reason. Not quite sure why, but it's just there. It's just it's a good drawing, but I don't know why it's on a checkerboard. Um, I suppose it's easier to draw than actual landscape, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's followed by more animated logos and some screens from the game with the car select screens. It's very good. Um, it's very nice front end. It looks the part, this sort of rolling demo thing. And even if you do leave it long enough, it will actually go to a demo mode of the game. So this is really nice front end. You know, this music playing. You've got these multi- multiple screens flicking through. All good. All looks nice. It's a standout front end as far as I'm concerned. Early indication of the polish and quality present in this game. So, pressing fire gets us to the simple to understand. We've seen these kind of menus from Accolade before. Simple to understand, but well-presented menu screen. Easy. They just, they're really good with their UIs, I think, Accolade. Really simple to navigate with a joystick. Nice and easy. And you've got three choices. At the top, you've got practice. Uh, you got so you can have a practice. You've got single race or this full-on championship um, across the game's eight included tracks. Um, below that, you can set the difficulty from level one to level five, um, with one being beginning at be, uh, being beginner up to five, which is the pro level. At level one, it has automatic gears, and you can't damage the car if you go off track and everything, and bounce into other cars. And the opponents drive like it's a Sunday, so they're easy to pass and stuff. On level five, it's all manual. The the other racers will destroy you, and when you make a mistake, you know when you make a mistake. Um, and you can damage the car and things like that. So all that kind of stuff is, is on the table. But the option to introduce different elements like manual gears and damage as you go higher on up the difficulty level does give you some degree of control of what kind of challenge you want. So you, as you go to two, you add in, I think, I think it's still uh, automatic gears, but it adds in damage. So then you get to manual gears and steering and more better AI on the opponents as you go up. Good, excellent stuff. Really, really simple, easy. And it outlines all this in the instructions as well. So it tells you all this. The instructions are really good for this game. You can also yeah. enter your name here as well. Um, so you just put your name in and you can set how many laps you want to either race in the practice or the single game or the uh, championship. Uh, you set it when you want. Um, what I'll do is I'll quickly outline the modes. Um, so practice. Uh, which is simply it's just you on an empty track trying to get used to the game for as many laps as you put in and that's it so it's a practice you know and it's just that's it um but i'll go down on to the next one so uh single race um the first thing you do in a single race is you've got to select the do what track you want to race on and that's you've got eight real world tracks um that are all accurately represented we've not really seen this properly i don't really think since we had pit stop two um uh, there may have been other racing games that have done proper tracks i can't remember but this does it you know like pit stop two did so the tracks here are autodroma de cideda in rio de janeiro Circuit de Monaco, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal. We've got the Detroit Grand Prix Circuit, mm-hmm. Silverstone Circuit in England, Hockenheim Ring in Germany, Monza in Italy, and finally Suzuka in Japan. All you know, iconic tracks from the eighties. These, you know, they're well known. Even now, they're well known. Um, yeah. after, 
After that, you get to choose your car from either the Ferrari, the McLaren, or the Williams F1 cars. Uh, these screens show a number of stats about the car. I'm not going to go through all the stats, but there's loads of, there's loads of them about how many gears and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they're all different. So when you so the I think the uh, the Ferrari is the basic one. The Williams is the all rounder, and the McLaren is the bullet, as they call it in the um, they call it in the instructions. Mm. So when you pick one of those cars, the background behind the car begins to scroll. Scroll past as the car drives off for the race. It doesn't just sort of go flick off. It's like you start driving off, and the crowd goes past in the background, really nicely doing, slowly picking up speed as it sort of yep. and then whizzes off the side of the screen. Great touch. Um, and like I said, all this is really easily navigated with the joystick. Keys for the names and number of laps. Dead simple, dead easy to all do. Um, from here, you're into the race. Um, I'll talk about the championship bit in a bit, but we'll talk about the, the race in here. Um, and the race is seen from a first-person viewpoint in the seat of the car. The layout of the screen has the controls of the car in the bottom half, and then your 3D view of the track taking up the top half of the screen. It's a nice effect because obviously what they've done is it's allowed themselves to, you know, the screen update is probably for most of the top half of the screen, um, but the kind of lower half is taken up with most, what we what you would call UI, so it's the interior of the car. So it lets them yeah. sort of get away with that, but it puts you in that view Kind of like Rebs, similar to Rebs. If you yeah, remember Rebs, it's I similar agree. to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you've got those sort of two splits. Um, the car is represented in nice detail, and each car is represented differently. So all the three cars are represented individually. It's not just the same car, you know, repeated three times. Um, and so the wheel takes up the center of the display mostly, so you've got the wheel in the middle. Um, to the right is the gear shifter that pops up and on screen. So you've got the gear shifter. And it, you know, even has... Um, down to the detail of having five speed options for the Ferrari. It's got six speed for the McLaren and the Williams, so it's not the same gear shift for each one. They're all different. Also, like I said, the interior of each car is individually different. Um, to the top left and right in the car section of the display, so in the bottom half, you've got fully animated uh, rear view mirrors, so wing mirrors. Um, which show the track behind you and any cars approaching, so you can react accordingly. There's also the speedo, which is a digital uh, digital speedo, which is above the steering wheel, um, and the rev counter, which is fully animated as well, and that's sort of in the middle of your steering wheel. Next to the um, speedo as well is a little bar, and that's your damage meter that slowly fills up as you take damage if you're on a difficulty level where damage is applicable. Um, the track view shows the track in front of you and it's not like we've seen so many times before it's not just a raster bar highway it's a solid piece of road um, with white stripes down the middle rumble strips on either side it looks like a road it, you know, it looks like you're looking out over the cockpit of a you know, so it's 3D, you know, it's a C64 version, but it looks like you're looking out over the cockpit, out the cockpit of a Formula One car down a road. They've done a really mm. good effect of this. It's really nice. Um, the, in the distance, we've got various things. We go around the track, the stadiums, hills. They're all nicely drawn and scroll smoothly back and forth as you go left and right. As you turn around the bends, there are also animated clouds that go across in the sky and there's planes. I think it's a plane. It's the dot that flies across. So the, then the clouds float across as well when you're going straight. It's all great. There's a really nice bumpy effect as you drive. So it's not just a sort of really smooth road. There's a bump. There's you feel like a as you're going. You could, you know, if there was if you had a rumble joystick, this would be rumbling. And you would feel that rumble sort of thing. It's like da, 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 da. you can see it. The, this view is jerking about as if you're you know, and it gets mm. gets more juddery the faster you go. This is great, you know. I, I had a look at Revs. Revs is really smooth. Don't do this. Uh, this is not a smooth ride. And there's a good sense of speed and solidity to the environments and the road you're on. It looks like a road. I can't. I, I, maybe it's just because I've seen so many of these things like 
Veclamons and super trucks and you know all these kind of raster bar things. It's just great to see what you know what looks like a proper road. Controls are simple enough with up and down for acceleration and brake. Pressing fire with up or down sees you change gear in manual mode accordingly. Steering is via a dot on the steering wheel, um, and the, so you've got a dot, and so you move left and right. So it's kind of analog with a digital input which works fine. So as farther it moves out from the center, the harder you turn. I think we saw this first in test drive before that in revs. Um, I think they use the same method, but it works, seems to work better here than it did in test drive. It seems to work a hell of a lot better. So they've obviously, you know, worked on it and made it work better. Um, and I could actually do get decent control with this and get some decent laps. When I, when I got used to it and I was concentrating, mm. I was starting to put in some decent laps in this game. There are road yeah. markers as well for warning of upcoming corners. They go from 100 to or 200 to 100 to 50, you know, to warn you, you know, you need to be turning, you need to slow down. Um, uh, and they're good. They're easy. And they're, they're readable as well. So you can read them. They're not just there as, you know, just blurs. You can read them. Um, you got a map in the top left. Um, and a race info box in the top right of the screen. This is uh, in the top, full top right, showing your present lap, present lap time, position, and total time. And these can even be turned off or on with the M key for the map and the S key for the stats. Obvious, obvious keyboard shortcuts. M for map, S for stats. You know, learn. Keep it simple, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a really good sense of speed to this once you get up to like 200 miles an hour. Now, the frame rate is not what we expect today. It's solid enough for you to get used to it. And there's no slowdown that I encountered. You know, there are nine other drivers on the road as well when racing in the competitions, and they all have their own temperaments as well, with some being better than others. Um, and there, this is all listed in the instructions. Um, like I said, above the steering wheel is a damage bar. It starts out as green. Should it fill up, you'll need to enter the pits at the start of the next lap, and you've got to slow down for them. Don't do what I did and just drive through them, thinking it'd be automatic. I just went, Rawr. I was like, oh, damn. People, I can imagine my pit crew went, oh, stupid idiot. Slow down. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so if you slow down in them, you get this. Uh, it's a brief load. Then there's a top-down view of the car, really nicely drawn, and you can choose to swap out your tires. So um, uh, you can swap out left or right. Um, and for what? So you, your car takes up most of the screen, and then, like your little sort of animated guy sort of slide on sort of thing with an unscrew and so unpull the notes, pull the, um, you know, it's all top down. They pull the wheels mm. off and put the next ones on and pull them off. And then you, off you go, you start off again. Um, so the races start with you having to qualify and once done, you're informed of your position and it's into the race proper. Um, at the end of a race, you get your stats with best lap, top speed, all that kind of thing. So there's no, you know, no problem. If you're in full on championship, um, mode, then obviously from championship, you race through all eight tracks in sequence. Um, you can save and load a game, uh, at the, so it's, it's a slightly different start sequence where you'll sort of tell you, all right, these are the people you're racing against. These are the, this is the points total. At this point you can save and load a game. Um, and like I said, you get the ongoing table. Um, at the end of a race as well, there's a full on animated sort of sequence where you, you know, if you're on the podium, you are spraying champagne everywhere and there's cars and there's people, you know, cheering and everything and you press fire and you're back to the main thing. And, and it's like that. I have to say that I was very impressed with this. I've never played it before, never seen it. There's so much attention to detail and revs probably has a smoother frame rate. I think this is doing more. I found the races here felt a bit better with all the trackside details. The other cars are really well drawn as well i didn't mention the other cars they look like they're a bit boxy but they look like other formula one cars they're in thing there's no slowdown you can go round them i found that you know it looks really good um the sense of being in a fast car was there the shaking viewpoint really added to the immersive nature of this i was mm. like really enjoying myself with it break you know pulling back as hard as i could on the joystick to 
put the brakes in and ramming it around to the corner and then coming trying to trying to apex corners and you know fully on speed out of them you know for the c64 for me i didn't think i'd be pit stop two but here we are pinnacle of racing games as far as what we've looked at so far as i thought this one i didn't think there was going to be anything to beat pit stop two which had been always been my favorite this did it for me i thought this was inc- really really good the different cockpit for the cars the choice of circuits there's eight rather than pit stop two six obviously there's a lot more loading the modes from simple practice to full-on championship the five levels of difficulty offer a real sense of progression as you get better and i did find myself getting better as well as i learned to adjust the corners and got used to the steering controls um, which I never seem to get the hang of in games that use this kind of control system. Previously, I didn't like test drive. I didn't really get on with revs. I found it a bit annoying. Um, this seemed to just click with me. The loading is a bit onerous at times, but you know it's easily overcome these days. Um, and after all those trips down the rest of our highway, this was a welcome reminder that the C64 in the right hands really can still surprise you with what it's capable of. Accolade, they're just the best. <laughs> what can I say? You know, they're just knocking out the park consistently with their. They take us. They just do something and go right. This is how you do this sport. Yeah, most yeah, of the time. Seventy-nine percent um, is a travesty. It's a travesty. Yeah. This is a sizzler towards gold medal all day long. I can't. I can't see how you're going to do F1 better on the C64. For a C64 to be pulling this off, I thought it was like, you know, when I tested it, I think I messaged you going, this Grand Prix Circus is a bit special. Yeah, yeah um, you, did. Um, you did. And when I played it properly to do the review, I was even more impressed with all the options and the, the smoothness of it and just the way it all clicks together. They're just, they're just, you know, clearly there's just very, very good game designers at Accolade, very clearly very talented technically, but also people who think about your journey through the game you know, and how you're going to interact with any moment of it. And I, I just loved this. I thought it was brilliant. I don't know. What what, what a what a out of nowhere for the end of April. Amazing. What yeah. did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I cannot understand the Zap review for this. I cannot. I know they reviewed the tape version. They cite loads of slow loading on the tape. Maybe that's what Maybe, did it. Yeah. I don't know. But, but um, this is hands down the best 3D Formula 1 racing game on the C64. Certainly, I don't. I can't think of any that are going to beat, beat it. I don't know many more there are. Um, but it's the best one I've played by a mile. I mean, it's such a good, solid Formula. It's all the things you've wanted out of these games for so long. Detailed, all the detail that goes into it. The graphics are really good. The sound's brilliant. The opening title music is really good controls are exactly as they need to be really responsive i like the fact that you've got acceleration in the corners of the joystick so it's mm. not just up to accelerate down to decelerate you can accelerate as you and decelerate as you're going round a bend i mean come on um it's really responsive it's really really fast 3d um, and it's 3d that makes sense contextually so it's not it's not it is better they've obviously upped the ante on the test drive and things like that it's not like that it's so much more than that Mm-hmm. The tracks are really good. The accurate versions of the actual tracks. You've got maps, Adrian. Maps. maps. So you can see what's coming. You've even got signs on the track which tell you which speeds you need to be at for the kind of corners on the practice laps and things. It's just, it is a really brilliant package of stuff. Now, as well as if that wasn't good enough, the one to eight version of this had more enhanced features as well. Ran slightly faster as well. So it used it used more yeah, of the C64 yeah. one to yeah. eight power. 
So there was that. So if you did have a one to eight, you got a more enhanced version of it, which is really good. And oddly, this completely passed me by when I had a C64. Never even came across it. So this was a real breath of fresh air. Genuinely brilliant. Really enjoyed playing this. Loved the music. Loved the ability to practice and get better at it, which you can do. Yeah. You actually feel like you're getting better. I like the fact that you can set your lap count and things like that. When you choose the tracks, you choose the car. The cars are actually handling differently as well. Yep. So it's not like they're just the same car with the different colors. Rear view mirrors, for goodness sake. Yeah. Rear view mirrors. So much attention to detail. They've really, really thought about it. Like they did with that boxing game that we saw. Like they're done with every game. They thought about it. They thought, right, you know what? Let's do all these things right. I still can't get over angle-based acceleration, deceleration, (laughs) because it felt like I was able to finally head into a corner, slow down while I was doing that, get into the sort of sharp part of the corner and then accelerate out of the bend. And it felt like I was actually getting better at one of these games. And it's honestly, I've, I've, I've never really liked them because I could never really find a way to navigate those bends properly. I just found myself flying off them all the time. Not with this one. I found myself really, really enjoying it. And and also, of course, the sounds, um, they've managed to find the right pitch of the sound for the engine so it doesn't annoy you. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. a bloody Formula One engine. So it's genuinely good. I mean, come on, all of that stuff in this game in this package, seventy nine percent. You are just he's just robbing it of what it should be. This is easily a gold medal, easily a gold medal for a game. I mean, it's just it's outrageous. It's a, this is the most controversial percentage I think I've seen that should have been a gold medal since Where the Exploding Fist. Yeah, it still pisses me off even now. <laughs> let alone let alone international karate. So, but. This one, out of all the games that really deserve to be a gold medal, based on, I mean, look at all those vector games that they brought out that got gold medals when they were slow, trudging vectors. This is filled, you know, filled fast track 3D. Now, this is doing it properly. None of your sludge speed nonsense. This is a really brilliant game for the C64, made by people that really cared about getting the best out of that machine. Mm. Genuinely really enjoyed this. And for, for those that want this kind of thing, if you want to play it and you don't want some of the loading on it, there's even an easy cart version created by the good old people at Hakuto Force. So you can even have a fast super load version if you want oh, to play that. Cool. I'm going to get older that because I've yep. enjoyed playing this. Really good. I really found this refreshing, really well-engineered game. Some of the best coding of that kind of can. It's about as good as it gets. And you don't even like, um, you don't, you're not a big fan of racing games, are you? It's no, not like not racing games no. in your bag. No, and it's because, it's because I've always found them frustrating to control. This one finally seemed to get the balance of the controls right. And I was able to get round and start to feel like I could properly decelerate because I had, you know, warning signs and I just started to get into the spirit of the actual race of the game. And when you're in the race, by the way, it's pretty tense. For once, the cars aren't trying to ram you off the road or kill you. They're just trying to win the race. Mm. And so, you know, and it's just, it plays like a proper racing game. And because it adheres to those things, I found it really compelling and I really enjoyed it. Really, really good this. Easily the best Formula One game that I've played on the C64 by miles. This is the leaderboard of Formula One. This is, you know, that just, if you're going to do it, do it like this. And Accolade, well, they're just sealing sealing the deal for me. I think they probably are now, in my mind, the greatest C64 game publishers that the 64 ever had. Because I cannot think, every game they are producing now, they are smashing it. This is brilliant. Best game I've played in ages. It made sludging through all that crap in April worth it to get that one at the end. What What a brilliant game it is. Go and find a version of it. Go and play it. You won't regret it. Brilliant. I really liked it. Yeah. There we go. You saw that coming. Should have looked our, we should have looked in our uh, wing mirrors and seen that coming up the end side. <laughs> we might have known then. But 79%, get lost. Robbed. Do you know re- that... Re- re-review it and do it properly. Yeah, you got 90% in your Commodore. Games Machine gave it 47%. What? What? Just, just go and do an egg. I don't know. <laughs> 
something like that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I can only presume it's the, yeah, it's the only real failing being a diabolical loading system, it says in the review. Check out the disc version. I can imagine that the tape version was a bit of a pain. Yeah, I, I can imagine that, you know, and it's the accolade probably. The heritage is, you know, they do take the tape version of it, but maybe but it's just we don't have to worry about that now. Yeah. No, we don't. No, we Go do play. not. It's excellent, excellent. There you go. That's it. That's our seven games for this week. That's April done. Um, what did we look at? We looked at Blasteroids. Mm. Just Asteroids. <laughs> Just Asteroids. Asteroids with a B on it. With a B on a blur. it. Yeah, a blur. Uh, Zone Trooper, which yeah. small acorns, other things grew, shall we say. Yes, yes, um, yes. The Monsters. Frustrated. No acorns grew. Many, many monsters <laughs> died to bring us that information. <laughs> True. Uh, there was a double bill in it of like sort of uh, licensed crap because then we've got Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, yeah. Dreadful. Then the surprisingly bland but okay mini golf, which should have really been yeah. a budget game. Budget Orion, game. which was a budget game, but okay. Mm, and then the outstanding bland. Grand Prix circuit, which clearly thing. takes the podium this week, should we yes, say. Yes, absolutely. Should we say. There we go. Right, well, as promised, we do have a crap burp. Oh, we do. This is mostly for the top half because it's two in one. Now, I can't, I don't know if that top one is called Tech or Zek. Um, uh, yeah, it's, but it's not says, easy <laughs> to decipher, is it? But it says two great blaster ups, and then it looks like the shittest version of Tron you've ever seen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very um, cabaret version of Tron, isn't it? <laughs> what are those like, motorbikes? I don't know. Either I think they're, they're drawn or, by someone that's never seen one before. Or, or has only seen, um, uh, what's it, the Battlestar Galactica when they come to Earth. Yeah, they have got a hint of that, haven't they? I think somebody somebody said to him, make sure they've got handlebar moustaches, and that's what he's drawn. <laughs> I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> So it says this is an Amiga's ST thing, but it's, do you accept the challenge? I don't know. There's screenshots randomly placed. So this is the top half of this. There's, there's what is that Gordian shaded ball tall thing just behind the bikes? On a, I think it's going to be a tower. I don't know. <laughs> but they're on a some kind of bendy grid thing. I mean, where? Yeah. look at the wheels on that front bike. I mean, I, I don't know what angle that is. Uh, it's not a good one for that particular... <laughs> And he's got a spiky helmet that you can just make yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, they, they have got, and they've got visors you can't see through, which is always a, mis- <laughs> no, it's a mistake no, on a motorbike. Over. <laughs> yeah, it's, they're relying on the force, I think, there. Uh, I like the fact that they've got, to, you know, the tyres on those motorbikes looks like the kind of spare wheels you get for your 50 mile an hour spare in your car, your limpy spare, you know, when you get a pop yeah. of your tyre pops and you can't, you only got your sort of emergency spare. They look like them, they look like scooter wheels. <laughs> this reminds me of a story I heard that someone told me about an art teacher that, who went and, this is an art teacher who um, one of the students was drawing a car, uh, drawing a car three quarter from a three quarter view. They drawing yeah. this car, and they went up and they went, "No, you've drawn the wheel all wrong and drew it flat." They rubbed it out and drew it <laughs> flat, and the guy was, the guy was like, "No, no, no, that's that, that's that's side on." <laughs> yeah, let me yeah, uh, let me help you there. Let, let, you know what perspective is. <laughs> then he went to walk out the door and just walked out, slipped out sideways, <laughs> crabbed it out. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's they're, they're riding motorized fish. Essentially, I'm not sure what that's all about. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, I mean, the bottom, the bottom one is just. Uh, I, I don't know. Is that a screen from the game, Alien Legion? Um, Can you imagine? I, I like hope. A, I hope not. <laughs> twenty five quid as well, and that top one's twenty quid. Yeah, it does. They does. It does. That bottom one does look like that's the loading screen, doesn't it? Actually, we just, we can't that. think of an advert. We're just going to stick it on, but we we'll put the Alien Legion above the landscape for. Do you notice as well on the left? Somebody's taking credit for the layout. I saw that. Is that what does that say? Is that layout by EMAP B and C? EMAP. Oh dear, you wouldn't claim that. You wouldn't, would you? No, you wouldn't <laughs> claim that. I like the way they've just got and in the middle. That and is like totally arbitrary. It's just like because <laughs> it is. I guess it's tech. I think is it? Is it? It must be a T. That's not a Z. But I mean, maybe. But it's I don't know. tech or Zek. More likely tech, but Zek. And it's just and <laughs> and <laughs> an Alien Legion done in that horrific way. Yeah, that's actually. The more I look at that, the more that definitely is a loading screen because that's how you would draw them in an, an Amiga. That still looks paint all the way. That is. Yeah, and it's got some muscly guy looking. I don't. I can't. I don't know. He looks pissed off. He looks like he looks like he's just. You know, <laughs> looks he looks like he's he honestly fa- looks annoyed. I, I think he's farted <laughs> in his spacesuit. <laughs> He just look at his eyebrow and his eye angle. He looks really angry at something. He's like looking down, like for God's sake. He's looking at that WTO Gain Star logo in the middle, which is some kind that's, of terrible cutout map. That's the face you pull when you are walking your dog and it does a poo, and you realise you've got no poop bags to pick it up. <laughs> You're like, not now, but it's too late. The dog started, and there's no way, no way back. But yeah, it's like that. That's his facial expression. I'm not overly uh, mentioning poop. I like. I, I did laugh when I. What is is that like a motorbike helmet in the top left as well of the tech one? There's another towery. Just what a is rogue that? helmet, just just floating there. Yeah, and I mean, look at that tech. Just on a note of the, you know, with, you know I'm like with typefaces. <laughs> yeah, but just we've got a bevel in there, and it's not a good one. A yellow bevel. I mean, <laughs> isn't that a song by David Bowie? <laughs> The one you, the one he never released. <laughs> Yellow <laughs> bevel. Your font is a mess. Yellow bevel. This font is distressed. Yes, so it's not good, is it? And the screenshots just—they're all. I like the way the screenshots of the game at the top are the same color palette as the game at the bottom. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, but not in the, not in the spirit of the colors at but, the top. But it's the just, screenshot of the game at the bottom looks like neither of them. It's like what looks like some kind of odd wizardy no. Doctor Zayas type creature. No, in and it. that Tower Ball and Cup thing you mentioned—that's just been thrown on there. They, they didn't think about perspective or <laughs> anything when they did that. Got a they? Shadow. It's just there. What's that? Oh, put that there. What is it? Uh, you don't need to know what that is. It's just, you know, it's a <laughs> giant the sh- microphone. The shadowing on it that's not consistent throughout the whole thing. And then... And do you realise inside of that how bright the lights would have to be inside <laughs> there to shine out that brightly from the from the inside out? You'd be blind if you worked in that tower. That's it. <laughs> that's why they've got helmets on where you can't see through. <laughs> yeah. They've yes, just come out of so bright. Come out of that tower. Are we on motorbikes? I don't know. My bike's falling over. I mean, it's clearly Tron light cycles, isn't it, of some description, but not not in a good way. The ones not that look like... I don't know. It also puts me in mind of um, the flying motorbikes, thing, from flying things from uh, Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah, yes, actually, yeah, yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, right? Of all the games, if you were going to make a game, of all the games that you don't need to make complicated... Tron Light Cycles is pretty uncomplicated. Yeah. You can't really add complication to that, really. You know, it's unnecessary. Oh, it's, it's snake, isn't it? Unnecessary. Yeah, it's just one, but it's it's unnecessary. You don't need to make that into something. And look at them. Just looking at it on the right hand side, there's a looks like a very complicated map UI system. But what is essentially snake? Yeah, I'm sure you need that. You don't need, need that it. As well. No. There we go. That's your crap vote for this week. Well, this this month. Nice to find one. It is. It's Let's... always good. 
let's get to our charts from Commodore User. Uh, we'll go down from 10. New entry at number 10 is Pro Ski Simulator. Oh, goodness me. I know, that was dreadful. Uh, down to number nine, Operation Wolf. Okay. Down to number eight is Afterburner. Okay. News okay. is spreading. Um, down to number seven is Double Dragon. Good Lord. Yeah. Uh New in at number five, joint in. So splitting the number five space, but in new, both new in. You've got Emily Hughes' International Soccer. Yay. Okay. And Vec Le Mans. Mm. Uh, new in at number four is the In Crowd from Ocean. That's a uh, compilation. Compilation, yeah. Uh, new in at, at number... Th- oh, I can imagine you World Games. Number three, budget, new entry. Budget price will get crazy for budget money. Two quid for World Games. That's ridiculous. That's, That's amazing. Yeah. Um, down from number one to number two is Robocop. Ironically, um, it is, uh, yeah. Yeah, and in at number one is Dragon Ninja. Yeah. Ocean having the most there with one, two, four games in the top top ten. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, what else we got? Ace 2 from Cascade at number 11. Micro, okay. Micro Soccer at number 12. Mm-hmm. Joe Blade 2 at number 13. Oh, headbutt your way to glory, is it, that one? <laughs> That's the kick one, and it? it's the jump it's kick. It's the kick one, kick in the head. Yeah, you got a jump kicker in the jump head. Jump kick. Tomcat, the, the great. Okay, good. Uh, 14, new entry. Uh, up to 15 is International Rugby Simulator. Oh, goodness me. Okay. Haven't seen it. Uh, budget re-release of Commando at number 16. Okay. Uh, International Speedway. Mm, you need a left okay. turn at number 17. <laughs> uh, Football Manager 2 still sticking around at number 18. Bomb Jack uh, at down to number 19. And a new entry at number 20 is Batman. I thought that would have been higher. Mm, I thought it would go, probably will go higher. To be fair, the International Speedway entry there is the only game you can play with a broken joystick successfully. <laughs> that is true. I think um, the thing to think about Batman as well is that the film is not out yet. Um, no. and, and Batman really wasn't massive until that film. Yeah, it changed the sort of landscape for Batman, didn't it, completely? Yeah, because just before then, Batman was the 60s, camp 60s stick thing. People yeah. in comic world knew other Batman stuff, but it wasn't yeah. it wasn't that big in the general gist no. of things back then. And that and that version of Batman still adheres a little bit to the comic tradition of Batman as opposed to the new movie Batman that was Michael Keaton's Batman. Yeah, that's which will... Around which, the corner. Which is the second Batman game we have this year coming up. Mm. Here we go. Okay, that's it. That's it. That's April done. Saved at the end there by Grand Prix Circuit. Wasn't it just? Wasn't it just? Saved at the end. Saved by the bell. Saved by the wang of the Grand Prix thing. What we got coming up next week, next month? Well, May. I think we've got 16 games in total for May. Uh, okay. We have uh, Ace 2088. Okay. That's the third yeah. Ace game. I remember. I vaguely remember that one. Vaguely. I don't remember it all. Uh, I think you're in space. Okay. Um, act, uh, action Service. Action okay. Forces is a re-release. There's Action Service. That sounds really tra- crap, doesn't it? Action Service. Doesn't sound exciting. <laughs> it sounds like a sort of care group. Yeah. Or something. Uh, Bomb Fusion. Mm, okay. Don't know. Chicago 30s. Okay. I'm not liking the sound of that. But no. okay. The Deep. Okay. I don't know okay. about that. F-14 Tomcat. Another Tomcat game. Okay. Yeah. F-14. I think that's a bit more simmy. Might even be vectors. I'm not sure. Could be wrong. Oh, don't know. Okay. okay. Uh, Gary Lanica's Hot Shot. Oh no, Gary! You happy? He's back in hotshot form. <laughs> uh, human killing machine. Right. Okay. okay. Journey to the center of the earth. Okay. <laughs> uh, Last duel, which is another obscure arcade conversion, I think. Okay. Uh, Realm of the Trolls. Never heard of that one. Uh, the cover for next month, which is Renegade 3. Okay. okay. I actually played that one, so we'll see about that one. Uh, Run the Gauntlet. Okay. Remember that, vaguely. Again. Uh, could be okay. Silkworm. 
So I remember Silver being quite good. Yeah, it's a sizzler, so hopefully. Uh, speed zone. That doesn't sound very good. <laughs> That's like two generic words, isn't it? You're going through <laughs> the speed zone. This is the yeah. fast part. It's essentially That's what it is, sa- isn't it? Fast part. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound great, that. <laughs> no. Turbo Esprit. I remember that being really awful yeah, on the C62. I, I remember, remember the Spectrum that. version was quite good, but the C64 yeah. was bad. I think. It's going to be good, that is it. Uh, that's it. That's it. Okay. Uh, one I think we will look at just briefly, just to give it a, a mention, because it gets a bit of a re-release, but it's heavy metal paradroid. Okay. Normally we don't do sort of revisits, but I think that's heavy that's... metal paradroid. What's what's the difference? Uh, well, it it, I think what Braybrook did is he's redone the graphics slightly to make them feel more chunky and metal. Okay. Um, and it's also got the because uh, he did that re-release with the Iridium to the Paradoid Plus anyway. He sort of sped it up, made the graphic, okay. made it scroll smoother, and things like that, and made it better. So I think it's it's that code base with a sort of slightly redone graphical style. Oh, it'd be interesting to revisit that and have a look. And it's re-released. It's, it's re-released on budget. So it was a budget release. Okay. So budget release of Paradoid again is worth you know. Pff, that's amazing. Isn't yeah. It? yeah so uh, well, I think we'll we'll give that a quick sort of look. See, I think over the next, next we've only got six games. So and that's it. Whew. That's it. That's the that's four four months done. Four months of nineteen eighty nine already through done. We are done. Done and done. We're moving to May next week. Um, it's not. I don't know if it's been a great start to the year, really, has it? Overall, no, it hasn't. And we were there was us hoping that you know we were going. This is our ramp up for the games, and then we start to ramp down, don't we? Sort of yeah. gradually now. But okay, you know, like we, I think we've we've said um, the mediocre games. There's a lot of those. There's there's a whole bunch of horrible licenses that have been really plaguing us. And then every now and again, it always seems accolading to come up with the goods and manage to save the day. They've done that in March, they've done it in April. Yeah. Not just in March, not just accolade, but you know, it's certainly in April. I think they've really come at, you know, right at the last game of April, they've gone, right, all you other games, take note. You know, there's still life in this machine. Yeah. And it, I mean, they don't, not every accolade game is a, a standout hit. It's not like everything, like Fast Break was okay. Um, yeah, Serving I mean. Volley was had its bit of problem sort of thing, but they're generally of an above average quality. There's something yeah. in them, and I think that their 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 hit rate throughout. I mean, if you, even if you go back to things like you know Hardball, PSI Five, Law of the West, yeah, you know, I mean, the only thing really good that I can really remember from them is the Test Drive. Yeah, yeah, it's the one that sticks out, isn't it? Test Drive, and yeah. then we as we've gone through this, we've realised you know there's some real corkers in there, the train and things like that. That well, yeah, the train Ace of Aces. I think was Ace of Aces them. I yeah, think. Ace of Aces them. Yeah, that's yeah. them. I think the same people who did Desert Fox, although that wasn't yeah. released by them. But yeah, um, yeah, it's been an odd start to the year. But you know, things it we'll has. see how th- we'll see how things progress and and move on. Um, we will. Yeah. So yeah. So May is a two episode specials. It's, I think it's it's two episodes for the rest of the year. We've done our multi episode ones. Now we're back down to two episodes for the rest because the number of games does drop. So there's not enough content really, a game that's content for, and that's the way it goes for it to be whatever. But yeah, just looking at some of the stuff coming up in the rest of the year. What's we got on World? Mm, there's yes. some. I was looking yesterday actually. There's some. There is some little gems in there as we go through um and there, yes the game, games are dying off but there's a whole bunch now we're now in, in heading into really uncharted territory for me because it won't be long before i didn't own a c64 and i was well into my amiga stuff and so mm. so a lot of the games that we'll be playing will be you know i'll have played the amiga versions very likely but i won't have ever played the c64 one so yeah i think one of the last c64 games i remember playing um would have probably been something like tusker yeah I or, or myth tusker. myth i remember myth 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 yeah 
but, th- but they were very i wasn't playing on it much anymore and so i think gary showed me them and i was like oh that looks good yeah but don't really remember much else certainly looking down on oh, power drift i remember the power drift version but yeah. i think by t- yeah the rest of this year is going to be a a voyage of discovery shall we say more so than we have done i think so there we go and there we go that's it that's it for april i think we're done yeah i think we've, we've had our outro chat i think we just move into it, may done, next yeah. year um yeah. i've already said at the beginning how you can support us so go do that i think nothing is left to be said apart from i have been adrian mills and i have been graham raddings and you have been listening to and we will see you again next week goodbye thank you for listening to the zap to the past podcast we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of commodore 64 games as well as the music films and tv from around the 1980s driven of course by the issue of zap 64 magazine published at that time We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flakybits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.